This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. House of Representatives get bigger. I'm serious. What if we increased the size of the House? This is a proposal that I have been looking at with great interest for a number of years. But something interesting happened about a week and a half ago when Danielle Allen, who's a professor at Harvard, wrote a column advocating for this in the Washington Post. Now, On the face of it, most of us, you know, we're all, I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever, most of us are pretty frustrated with Congress these days. So that might sound crazy. But some people believe that growing the House of Representatives is the key to unlocking our present paralysis and leaning into some serious democracy renovation. The House of Representatives is supposed to be the people's house, and it's supposed to represent – you're supposed to have a representative go there and represent the folks. As originally conceived, the House was supposed to grow every 10 years with the census. James Madison even included in the Bill of Rights an amendment laying out a formula – forcing the House to grow from 65 members, which it was initially, to 200 members, then allowing it to expand beyond that. His proposal actually stands as an open-ended amendment, still available for ratification, but the math that it uses, it probably wouldn't work for the way the country is now in terms of population. George Washington spoke just once at the Constitutional Convention, and on its final day, to endorse an amendment lowering the ratio of constituents to members to 30,000. He felt there should be one member of Congress in the House for every 30,000 constituents. The The expectation was that good, responsive representation required allowing representatives to meaningfully know their constituents, constituents to know and reach their representatives, and Congress to get its business done. Today, House members represent roughly 762,000 people each, and that number is on track to reach 1 million by mid-century. So I think it's safe to say we're not really living up to George Washington's vision. The number has gotten so high because almost 100 years ago, they passed in the Congress passed something called the Permanent Apportionment Act. And it basically capped the the size of the House. The bill set the decennial reapportionment of the House on autopilot and it assigned the Census Bureau the job of reporting a new 435-seat apportionment plan for the House to the president following each sentence, the president, uh, each census. The president, in turn, simply reports the new apportionment to Congress. Congress can change this number if it wants to, but it has not wanted to for almost a century. As a result, we are now the only developed democracy in the world 
that has not continuously adjusted the size of its legislature over the past century. It also gives us the highest representation ratio of any organized democracy by far. Both the British Parliament and the legislature in Germany are larger than our House of Representatives, even though their populations are roughly one quarter or one fifth of ours. So why exactly was the House supposed to grow? grow? Danielle Allen gets into this in her column, and she mentions that the Federalist Papers, which were a set of essays written to advocate for the new Constitution, explain its features via a set of key design principles. Energy, Republican safety, and that's Republican with a small r, due dependence on the people, and a need to fuse the principle of popular sovereignty with a union of states. A growing House of Representatives was meant to advance all these principles. The goal of energy meant the government needed to be able to get things done, but citizens also needed to be protected in their liberties despite the energies of the government. That's the ideal of Republican safety. The principle of due dependence on the people meant office holders should take their cues directly from voters, not donors, not special interests, not party activists. So uh, the House was supposed to provide the elasticity turning over every two years, continuously growing. The Senate was supposed to be a steady rudder with only a third of its members potentially rotating out in any election cycle. So I'm curious what you think of this proposal. 800-848-9222. There's a lot of proposals out there to improve democracy. Why is this one being considered? Well, according to Danielle Allen, and I'm not necessarily—I like this idea. I have to be honest. I'm not ready to gung ho endorse this 100%, but I'm I'm favorably inclined to it because I do think the House has become um, unrepresentative of the people that they're representing, and. For starters, according to Danielle Allen, today's high ratio of residents to lawmakers, representatives are too removed from their constituents. And that's where I come down on this. Constituent services are strained. Smaller districts would mean better responsiveness, which would align with the principle of popular sovereignty. Relatedly, Congress has a much larger budget to track and manage and many more agencies to review than it did 100 years ago. More House members would make for more effective legislative oversight of the executive branch, and that aligns with the principle of Republican safety. Third, the smaller the district, the less expensive the campaign. And this is what I love about this idea. And the less politicians will be dependent on donors instead of the people as the principle of due diligence, uh, of the principle of due dependence requires. So, In my district, right, most of them, it used to be about you'd have to spend two and a half to three million dollars a year if you wanted a chance at winning. Now those numbers are through the roof. It's probably about uh, probably about five and a half to six million dollars. It's it's a little tough to keep track of because so much money is spent by outside groups. But I think that you are essentially in a position to have to raise twenty five thousand dollars a week. Every week that you're in Congress, you have to raise $25,000. Now, what are you doing to raise that money? You're basically prostituting yourself to anybody that will give it to you. With uh, a a smaller constituency, that wouldn't be the case. Danielle Allen was on MSNBC talking about this. This is what she said as part of the proposal that she's advocating for. The fact is, when the Constitution was designed, the House of Representatives 
was intended to be the body closest to the people. And in fact, Washington intervened in the Constitutional Convention only once, and in order to affirm bringing the ratio down to 30,000 to one. Now, that's where they were then. We're at about 750,000 at this point in time to every single representative, 750,000 constituents for each representative. So what's wrong with that? It means we don't have the responsiveness that we need. Representatives can't know their constituents in a way that they could in the past. They can't handle constituent services. The volume is overwhelming. There are not changing dynamics as the demography of the country changes. As California grows, for example, it stays with, you know, roughly speaking, the same number of representatives, same for Texas and Florida. So we need the elasticity and flexibility that was always expected to be there. The idea was that Congress would grow with every 10-year census. I'm curious what you think of this. 800-848-9222. Back to our regular number. 800-848-9222. This year, two representatives have filed bills to enlarge the House. Earl Blumenauer has filed the Restoring Equal and Accountable Legislators in the House Act. And Congressman Sean Kasten has filed the Equal Voices Act. Should we take these proposals seriously? What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. She talked about the effect that this might have on local news, which is certainly something that I'm interested in. The great thing about a bigger house is, again, that representatives would be closer to their constituents. And what that means is there's actually a chance for local news, local knowledge, local information to start to do a better job again. Right now, we are operating in a democracy with news deserts all over the country. And then the only access that people have to information about their representatives comes through national media. And that produces a really distorting and polarizing effect. So if we could get representatives closer to the people again, there's you know more degrees of connection, greater likelihood that you'll be able to pool, healthier knowledge about what's going on and make better decisions. I, I tell you, I think she makes a very compelling case. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. My only reluctance is right right now, every member of Congress, I think, makes about $200,000. And or do we really, let's say we double that, right? Do we really want to double the outlays, the expenditures for members of Congress and their staff? But presumably, they could deal with uh, smaller staff because there would be more of them. So that's my my one hang up is the financial aspect of it. Yeah, the um, it's one hundred seventy four thousand dollars they make. So before everybody starts calling me and telling me it's not two hundred thousand, yes, okay, it's one hundred seventy four thousand. I have to look that up. Curious what you think? Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We're going to talk with Colonel Daniel Davis in about five minutes. Uh, Colonel Davis is one of the people that I most admire. He's a brilliant writer. He's fought and won the country of the United States military, fought bravely for the country, and he's spoken out and been a real independent in the kind of the the Pentagon Alumni Club at a time when it was very difficult to do so, and it's still difficult to do so. He wrote an interesting column about how we should be very reluctant about letting these retired generals that are on television go and and lure us into this Russia-Ukraine war. It's an interesting column, and I'm going to link to it, but I'm looking forward to talking with him coming up. 800-848-9222. What do you think of the idea 
to expand the number of representatives in the House. Are you all for it? Are you opposed to it? Are you somewhere in between? 800-848-9222. Claude in Baltimore, what do you think of this idea? Hey, my friend, how are you tonight? I'm hanging in there. Thanks. Well, I think we should have an independent group as well because, you know, Democrats, Republicans, independents, because we need to make it bigger. But we need another side of what's going on. I mean, Kimberly Klasick, she would be the best white president or even a president. She would make a good president. Well, you know, I'm all for and thanks for the call, Claude. I'm all for getting more independence in in elective office. And one of the things that you could look at is maybe some sort of scenario of proportional representation, right? Where rather than single member district plurality, you look at uh, electing them proportionally. This way, if uh, if the libertarians or the greens get 5% of the votes in a given state, they could get 5% of the seats. That is very separate. From this, this has nothing to do with making it easier for independence, other than I, I guess there'd be more seats available uh, and maybe there'd be more opportunities to run. But I think a lot of the a lot of the barriers to entry for independent candidates would probably still be there in the play in the states that they're there. So I'm all for that. But I honestly I think that's a separate discussion. Our friend Obi Murray is on the line. Obi can't get enough of us, huh? Well, I, didn't, I haven't called the show in a while, Frank. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, you were just here Thursday. What do you think of this idea? Oh, was that right? That was Thursday. Wow. It seems yeah. like yesterday. Yesterday. Um, uh, I think you're wrong, but I'll tell you this. Don't forget. I'm listening on the feed online, so I missed the last minute or so of what you may have said. Uh, so if you said this, I apologize. But why do we have so many people that are elected? City government, county governments, uh, town governments, village governments, state senate, state assembly. If it's constituent services we're worried about, hire more staff. Right. Well, that's that's one idea. I mean, do you think that uh, a member of Congress can do as good a job representing 762,000 people as they can a million people? Do you think the number should be capped at 435? And why, for the first uh, 200 years or so of the republic, was it okay that it kept going up? And why should it stop at 435? What's special about that number? Technology's made things that much easier just to track constituent services alone. The communications and so forth are just tremendous. Remember, you used to come into town to vote on horse and buggy. So there's a whole different level of ability to do things. But I, I haven't heard any real complaints from people not being able to get services they need. If you have oh, well, in the city, I, I, Obi, well, next time well, you're no. here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Sorry. have you get an earful from our listeners. Uh, the, 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 there is nothing but complaints. No, but but Frank, think about this. Where are they not calling from? Is it a certain member that's not good at constituent services? Is it a certain area that the same complaints being argued for and not answered? Is is there something being argued for they need with a utility bill or shutoffs and so forth in the, in the winter, elderly, uh, health care issues? There's one thing to be constituent services. It's another thing to do what the voters want in a, in a country that is so divided. That's the other part, too, don't forget. Is it the division they're worried about, or is it the consistent well, what about services? What about how expensive campaigns have become that you have to campaign to a million people takes a lot of money? Well, think about this, though. Actually, the larger it is, the less expensive it is per vote, possibly. Because when you spend the well, money no, no, on no, TV... No, 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 but that's per vote, but that's spend, not the aggregate number. 
but what I'm saying is, though, if it's 750,000 people or a million, that campaign doesn't cost much more, possibly, because you don't have the, the oh, TV. I, Obi, I, I think that's effective. I think that's naive. I, I think especially outside of New York, a lot of uh, a lot of members of Congress are not even advertising on TV. They're relying on direct mail and things like that. Obi, I got to get to some other people. <laughs> but thank you. Bob is on Staten Island. Hello, Bob. Yeah, hi. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, let's face it, the uh, Congress is uh, is, a, is a brothel. It's a bordello. Everyone is bought and paid for. So uh, if you add more members to uh, the House, you'll just be adding more prostitutes. I don't see the sense. All right. So That's you don't basically. think that by uh, reducing the size of the districts and reducing the cost of these campaigns, maybe you would make it easier for people that can't raise twenty five thousand dollars a week? It's from special interests to run. No, I, I think the whole institution is rotten, though. Just recently, well, but uh, why is it uh, rotten? Why is it rotten? What what's caused because, the rot? Because of the uh, the uh, the influence of uh, of big money, right? Basically. So why is why that that's what I'm trying to nail down? Why is the influence of big money there? Because they want things done for themselves. I mean, they don't care about the average right, right. person. I understood. Thank you, Bob. Right. So when you have a million people, it costs a lot of money to run for office. When you have 45000 50000 it doesn't cost nearly as much. So you would have uh, people not necessarily as beholden to their donors. Now, whenever you have Congress in a position to dole out hundreds of billions here, hundreds of billions there, obviously there are going to be special interests that are going to be whining and dining people. But is it easier to do that with 435 people than it is for, say, 700? I think it might be. I think it might be. Uh, Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hi, Frank. Uh, you know how big the bills are they pass? You ever see those stacks of papers? So if you have more congressmen, yeah, everybody's going to want something. You may as well double that stack of papers. Those bills will be – those acts that they pass will be so expensive, it will drive your taxes through the roof. Uh, so you think it would actually add to more bureaucracy and more uh, these 5,000-page uh, bills? Every member would put something in there. Maybe it would be a 6,000-page bill. Probably 10,000. Well, hey, Mike, that's actually a good point. Uh, that's uh, That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Hey, we're going to talk with Colonel Daniel Davis in a minute. Uh, is it time for us to get more or less involved in this conflict between Russia and Ukraine? You know where I come down on this. We'll get into it with Colonel Davis straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. This is uh, Leonard Skinner. We saw the news yesterday that uh, Gary Rossington, the guitarist for Leonard Skinner, and I believe the last original member of that band, had uh, passed away. Well, if you turn on cable news, if you turn on the radio, if you read quotes in any sort of 
publication, any newspaper, any magazine, chances are you're going to stumble upon a quote or two from a retired general. The overwhelming number of retired generals, all of whom are highly decorated, have uh, incredible resumes, both in terms of the military theater of combat and many times in academia, have led people, have fought, and have been very brave. So often, these generals end up sounding very much like General Jack Keane, retired four-star general who was on uh, Fox Business a couple of weeks ago talking about the situation in Ukraine. What the Ukrainians are saying, and I'm associated with the Institute, the study of war, and we validate what the Ukrainians are saying. If you give them everything that they've requested in a timely manner, they can win this war decisively within a year. And, and that's just the facts in front of us. I find that kind of comments, that kind of commentary, so incredibly dangerous, honestly. But I never served in the military. Who am I to question somebody with the kind of service of General Jack Keene? And I think a lot of us are tempted to sort of defer to the experts. A lot of us are tempted to say, look, he's a general. He's been in combat. He must know what he's talking about. How can I question it? Well, a fascinating column uh, that I'm going to link to on my Facebook page right now at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan says, don't let retired generals drag America into the Ukraine war. Its author is not a general, but a retired U.S. Army colonel who has deployments in four combat zones. He's currently a senior fellow and military expert for defense priorities. One of our favorites, Colonel Daniel Davis. Colonel, it is always great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Frank, it is absolutely a delight to be back. It's been a long time. How it, are you? It is. It has been far too long. You're you're a busy guy, but uh, I guess that's good that people are taking advantage of your uh, your expertise. Hey, uh, so Colonel, what's your problem? Uh, what kind of anti patriot are you to be questioning the wisdom <laughs> of people like General Jack Keane? Yeah, you know that's, uh, that's I get that a lot actually uh, because to, you know often people will look at the ranks and they'll say, okay, a lieutenant colonel. Or four star general. Well, I'm going to go with the four star general. And, you know, a certain extent, I can understand why they might be thinking that. But what I really tried to lay out in, in that piece that I wrote there that you referred to, as well as several others that are also linked within it, is that we need to be looking at the results of what these guys say over, over decades of time. We're not talking about that they miss something here or there or that they're, you know, there was kind of like, well, I think it was red, he thinks it was blue. Uh, you know, who knows which is the best. I'm talking about like dramatic failures and, and uh, bad advice given to presidents, bad advice given to the American people, to Congress, things that ended disastrously. If you look at the track record of these fellows over at least the last 20 years, uh, then you'll see that you very much should be questioning the advice that they're given now, and especially something like that one of uh, General Keene that you just mentioned there. I mean, I mean that's just nonsense to suggest that all we have to do is give a bunch of tanks and artillery pieces and, uh, you know, armored personnel carriers, and then, bam, Ukraine's going to be able to win the war. I, I mean, that that doesn't make any sense if you understand how combat power is built, how effective units are designed, and how they're built over time, what it takes to get a unit uh, a combat effective in modern uh, mechanized warfare, 
and then to suggest that you just got to give them NATO stuff and they'll suddenly be able to act like NATO and then as though the Russian side doesn't even exist. I mean, there's, it's just you can't substantiate what he said. Uh, and in fact, what we're going to probably end up doing is just extending the war, uh, probably right. making more Ukrainians die. And, and it's still not going to end that way. Right. Yeah. So, and that's anyway. why I, I have a big problem when people have characterized my position, which is generally that the United States should try to play a role not in helping the Ukrainians, but in helping bring an end to this conflict. I have a big problem with people who've characterized the things that I've said as being anti-Ukraine or pro-Russian. I don't think there's anything anti-Ukraine about wanting uh, fewer Ukrainians to be killed, which is uh, unfortunately the logical consequence of the the policy that we're pursuing now. Now, General Keene is not alone. You have former Central Command General David Petraeus led uh, the military in both Iraq and Afghanistan and then went on to become the head of the CIA. He believed recently, he said that he believed Ukraine would retake the territory that Russia has seized, including potentially Crimea and the Donbass, which threw me for quite a loop. Uh, General Petraeus certainly has a lot of experience, Colonel. Why is he wrong? Yeah, and and I believe it was General Clark uh, who who echoed the same thing. And General uh, Hodges, General Ben Hodges, said that he thinks that Ukraine will take Crimea by this summer. Uh, and, and, you know, again, you hear generals say that and you think, like you said at the outset here, well, they must know what they're talking about. So I guess it's true. But the fact is that it's not true at all. And, and I, I genuinely don't understand why they would be saying these things when it's just basic fundamentals that they're supposed to know, like the back of their hand, as to why what they're saying is just virtually impossible to accomplish. Unless the Russians just disintegrated on their own. Uh, they have, you know, four times the potential manpower that the Ukraine does. They have their own dom- uh, domestic military uh, construction of, of vehicles, uh, their own production of ammunition. They don't have to rely on other people to make it or to give it to them like the Ukraine side does, because the, the Russians have basically destroyed all the military industrial capacity of Ukraine. They severely damaged their uh, civilian infrastructure for electricity generation, which has a direct impact on their ability to just even make their economy work, much less other you know military uh, facilities to function. All those things make it so that the, the much smaller Ukrainian army and the smaller manpower pool they have is over. Well, by the up to 15 million more Russian true or personnel in the military age male uh, pool from which to draw. So you can see if you get into a a, uh, uh, a situation where it's a uh, you know we're just doing a meat grinder kind of attrition warfare model, which is kind of what the thing is doing at the moment. That doesn't favor Ukraine, and Russia is not just going to disappear. They have a force somewhere around 150,000 that has yet to be employed. That uh, according to all the Western intelligence services has somewhere between 1,800 tanks, about 4,000 armored personnel carriers, and uh, I, I don't know, seven, seven, eight hundred artillery pieces that haven't even been used yet. So they're sitting over there waiting somewhere. And to suggest that the Ukraine side, who won't even be getting any of this NATO gear that we promised them until probably the end of the summer at the earliest, and even that's only part of it. That that's somehow going to be able to drive through this Russian force, it, it just doesn't make any sense when you look at the fundamentals. 
The uh, one of the generals that you quote is uh, General Mark Hurtling, who wrote in the Washington Post in an op-ed recently that Ukraine, quote, will win the war. Uh, he said unequivocally and definitively because Russia won't make the changes necessary to win simply because it can't respond to General Hurtling. Why is he wrong? Yeah, that, uh, if you read all of the rest of his commentary there, that's that's a, a pretty racist statement, frankly, right. because he is saying that the Russian culture, the Russian uh, historical nation is not capable like they're they're just, you know, some kind of dumb guys. And look, you can hate the Russians. You can strongly dislike them. But it is a classic military error to underestimate your opponent. Now, I would suggest that a lot of people overestimated Russia at the beginning. I have to put myself in that category. Uh, I, I was not aware of just how how much uh, Potemkin Village kind of dressing they put on the training that they did. But they have recovered from a lot of that. And now that you look historically at what they have done in the past, and I think I even mentioned that article there, that when pressed, you know, the Russian history – uh, have has beaten the Napoleonic armies. They d- defeated the the uh, Germans in World War II. I mean, they can muster the power when it comes time to, uh, you know, if they feel that they're threatened. And they definitely are in that category now. And to just, you know, categorically say that they're not going to rise to the occasion again and just assume that that's the case is just setting yourself up for potential failure. We're talking with Colonel Daniel Davis. If you want to read this column, I've linked to it on my Facebook page. You can read it at facebook.com slash Fan. Definitely worth reading. Now, let me ask you this, Colonel. Uh, General Petraeus, General Clark, General Hurtling, these are not uh, – General Keene. These are not only experienced people, but they're very intelligent people. They can add two and two. Uh, many of them have uh, taught at uh, uh, military institutions of higher learning and elsewhere – why would they be making these sort of definitive claims, which are which seem so far fetched? You know, I, I I I'm puzzled by that. I really don't know. But but again, as I as I pointed out earlier, you look at the track record, and this has been going on for decades. They have been saying these kinds of things. How many times did David Petraeus stand there in sworn testimony before the United States Congress and say we are winning the war? We are making progress. General Allen said, this is victory. We have won in 2013. Yeah, how did all that work out? All these generals, every single one of them went before the American people, told the presidents of the United States, this is going to work. We, uh, it is working. We're going to succeed. And then the predictable, which I called as far back as 2009, that we were going to lose the war if we didn't make changes. It worked out exactly the way that I suggested it would for the reasons that I pointed out. And I don't know why these generals would be saying all this stuff to the contrary. The only thing that I can come up with is that, uh, you know, oftentimes they get into this uh, information operations mindset where if you just say it enough, people might start believing it and will influence this, you know, the target population. So we'll say what we want to be true, and then maybe it will become true. Some of them actually believe that. And you can certainly imagine that based on what they've said in the past under circumstances where we knew the military situation didn't line up with their claims, that they must be trying to do something like that now because of just a cold calculation of the military balance between the two forces right now overwhelmingly says Russia has the advantage. And I, I don't know why they keep saying the opposite. 
I'm not questioning the the integrity of any of the generals that we uh, that we have alluded to uh, so far. But the fact of the matter is, and this has been publicly documented, there are many generals that are retired generals that are on television giving commentary that then go on to lucrative positions on the boards of military defense contractors. General Mattis, the former Secretary of Defense in the Trump administration, he's now paid $127,000 to serve on the board of General Dynamics. Uh, General Mark Welsh, a former Air Force Chief of Staff who played a major role in growing the drone pilot program, he was elected to the board of uh, Northrop Grunman just after he retired, where he's paid $300,000 a year. Um, um, another uh, Jack Keen, who was has been making the rounds to uh, comment on anything. He's a former board member at General Dynamics, where he was paid two hundred fifty-seven thousand dollars. General Bruce Carson, uh, Admiral James Winfield, the list goes on and on of these generals that are getting paid big money by military defense contractors who are making millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars from this conflict continuing, and then these generals are going on television advocating for greater U.S. military involvement. Uh, Without being disrespectful, Colonel, do you think their private sector uh, economy has any role in uh, their influencing their outlook of the situation? You know, I, I, I think I'm kind of in agreement with you that I doubt, maybe there's some exceptions, but I doubt that any of these guys consciously think, okay, I know that I can look on the ground, I can read a map, I can, I can read a, a, a balance sheet, I can see that the Russian side is going to end up on top of this, but I'm going to say that the Ukraine side will so that my company can, you know, get more missile contracts or something. I bet none of them do that. But what I can absolutely see, and I know this happens all the time, is that because you're on the payroll of these kind of companies, and of course they will say with a straight face, with through all of their uh, the many uh, uh, people that they give money to for congressmen, with their uh, lobbying people that they have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year as the industry, that they'll say, look, this is for our national security. We have got to do this. We cannot let those Russians win because. My God, they'll be knocking at the door of NATO if we don't stop them here. So this is something we have to do. So you can convince yourself that, yeah, that's right. We have to do this. We can't take the risk. And so you're going to naturally benefit from it because you're in that company and you know their product. You know it's really good. So you'll talk yourself into believing that this is really a patriotic thing to do. But when you're, been, when you're influenced you know, subtly like that, by the message of the company and the fact that it's a business and they want to make money and they're giving you lots of money for your reputation and your credibility, that you're, it's just almost impossible to give unbiased advice. One of the explain to folks why uh, an escalation is not in the best interests of the United States. Why should the United States uh, avoid? getting further involved in this conflict between Russia and Ukraine. What do we what do we have to lose by that? The absolute best case for the United States right now is for this war to end as fast as possible because uh and, and I, I am strongly motivated, as you talked about at the outset here, by the number of Ukrainian citizens, both military and civilians, and frankly even the Russian military personnel that are being killed pointlessly because Zelensky and Putin can't come to an agreement those guys are paying all the price in this. The longer this thing goes, 
the more cities in Ukraine are destroyed, the more people get mm. killed, the more troops die for no gain, because this is going to end up in a negotiated settlement because they don't have the capacity to win. So the longer we do this, the more they're going to pay a price. It's not going to help the Ukrainian people. And the, the longer this goes, the greater the chance for any kind of error or miscalculation or bad decision that could expand this war. For example, the, the Russians have said if the West does provide these long-range missiles from ATACMS uh, and some of these other facilities, and they actually strike targets in Crimea or in Russia proper that come from NATO – they said, we are going to consider that as, as your direct participant in the war, and we will start hitting your arms depots in Poland, uh, in Romania, wherever they are that, that has, you know, they're sending stuff onward to kill Russian soldiers. That's going to be a fair target, and we're letting you know right now we'll hit that. Well, you know, if one target, one missile falls on Polish soil or on any NATO country, no matter the reason, their people are going to be ready to start talk about Article 5 and, you know, an unprovoked attack, et cetera, and you're going to be at the potential of a war with NATO and, and Russia, and you know that can only go one place, and that's, that's a nuclear expansion. And the fact that we're even playing with that is just insanely dangerous. And, and one of the things I mentioned also in that article is that you have General Hodges telling people, I ah, don't worry about that. He'll never go nuclear. So literally, we can do anything and just don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, it is so interesting to me. I, I get this with callers, too, is all of these people that want you to believe how evil Vladimir Putin is, they're essentially counting on Vladimir Putin to be a sane, sober, rational, nice right. guy right. Uh, to not escalate things beyond the point of irrationality. But uh, I could talk with you about this all day. We've been talking with Daniel Davis. He's also the author of the book, The 11th Hour in 2020 America. It's a terrific book, which uh, is actually more relevant now than it was in 2020. And now that we're going into a presidential election, I hope uh, the ideas that uh, that he puts out in this book influence the candidates on both sides of the aisle. Colonel, let me ask you this. You uh, served in Iraq and you gained some notoriety uh, when you returned from Afghanistan and published a, a report about how senior U.S. military and uh, civilian leaders were essentially misleading the public. This month is the 20th anniversary of the beginning of the war in Iraq what do you think the legacy of that war is, and what are the key lessons that you think the American public should be learning from our involvement in that conflict that began 20 years ago? Man, I mean, the, the first one that jumps right off the page is that, that that was, you know, a classic war of choice. It was based on faulty uh, intelligence that we were lazy and didn't really vet to find out if it was accurate or not. And so we launched off in thinking that we're going to bring democracy to a country and a people that didn't really even want democracy. That, that they governed themselves in different ways and had for centuries. And, and uh, you know, to try and change them by, by destroying the government in place and then trying to bring one of our own choosing inside there was a complete disaster. And now then, 20 years later, we still have troops somewhere around 5,000, I believe, or 2,500 maybe now. But we still have a military presence in that country uh, because after just a short period of time, you know, their, their military faltered after we allegedly had trained them up to be independent. We claimed that they were, and then they disintegrated at the first contact. Uh, and so once you start something like this, there just doesn't seem to be any kind of an end. And, of course, we should do the same things that we did in Afghanistan and withdraw from it. But you see, we're still there today. And so why would we want to get involved in another war that's not something that's based on our national security – 
but just on a, something we want to do as a, quote, preventive war. And look how – what did that prevent? That prevented peace and has cost us dearly with thousands of lost, uh, tens of thousands of wounded, hundreds of thousands of PTSD over the course of all this time. It's cost us like – I don't know how many trillions of dollars for that disastrous mistake. Let's don't repeat that in the future. Finally, sir, let me ask you this. A lot of people are concerned – about uh, China and even a lot of the people that have been calling shenanigans on the U.S. involvement in Ukraine, they seem to be all about uh, doubling down in terms of being hawks on, on China. A lot of Americans are concerned about what happens if China seeks to take Taiwan militarily. From your perspective, Colonel, what should the United States do if China moves against Taiwan in a military invasion of some sort? We should do everything that we can to to prevent that from happening by by engaging in diplomatic, uh, strong diplomacy, both with Beijing and Taipei, to say you guys need to find a way to not have this go into into conflict. That's that's the, the what we should be doing right now, and we're not doing either of those things. But if the conflict does explode, and, they, and no matter what the reason is that China does move militarily, the last thing that we should do is to go fight China on behalf of Taiwan, thinking that's going to help the situation. Because what that will do, and it was graphically uh, explained in the latest CSIS analysis of, of uh, war games, where they did 24 iterations of it, every single one of them end up with us losing hundreds of aircraft, at least two aircraft carriers sunk in the bottom of the sea, tens of thousands of troops killed, and at the end of the day, maybe not even stop China from doing what they're going to try to do to take over Taiwan. What we should do instead is uh, let's basically blockade the place, uh, you know, and let's use our military to make sure it doesn't go anywhere beyond the Taiwan area. Use our extraordinary, you know, potential for. Uh, uh, sanctions and other kinds of issues with economics that we can do with with Europe uh, to you know cause a great deal of pain to China so that they have motivation to not continue on with this uh, and and that may not stop them they may be willing to pay that price and that's that's the hard part of this if they make the move we may not be able to stop them but what we can do is avoid destroying our own military by trying to stop them. Because their military has been built for decades specifically to react to the U.S. military trying to fight them in the, on behalf of Taiwan. So they have you know, all the strength. They're fighting from 100 miles away from the border. We're fighting from about 6,000 miles away. And we just can't do that and succeed. But we can have our, our Pacific fleets, air fleets, and water fleets gutted. And that would devastate our ability to uh, defend our nation and, and our uh, global requirements because we would lose so much stuff it would take decades to replace. Colonel, so, uh, no met we have to we have to avoid war at all costs with China. I, I uh, appreciate the time, Colonel Daniel Davis. Uh, the book is the Eleventh Hour in 2020 America. If you want to read the column we've been talking about, don't let retired generals drag America into the Ukraine war. It's on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan. Colonel, it's always such a treat to talk with you. Thank you so much for staying up late with us. You bet. Thanks a lot, Frank. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of my conversation, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 
other side at midnight with Frank Morano. This is a birthday bumper music selection from Anthony Antico, not the gangster, uh, but uh, a Staten Islander that uh, I've encountered from time to time. Great guy, and uh, I don't think he's any relation to Anthony Antico that's a a mobster, but, you know, uh, there's no indication that he's done anything unorthodox. We're going to get to your calls in a moment at uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. One thing I did want to mention, I had a great time at the uh, Golden Mike Awards last night. I was there with uh, at the invitation of our owner, John Katsimatidis, and it was very nice of them to invite me. And it was always uh, such a treat to be able to spend time with uh, with Margot Katsimatidis, which, I mean, she's just uh, delightful. I mean, she's just so funny. And, um, you know, my code, as you know, is because I've talked about this before, my code that I live by is that if anyone compliments my lapel pin, sincerely, right, I will give them my lapel pin. And then I'll go out and get try and get another one. No matter how valuable it is, no matter where I got it from, I will give you my lapel pin. That is the code that I live by. So Margot who has actually designed a lot of the lapel pins for our network. So I was wearing, I am wearing today, because the event was called the Golden Mic Awards, a lapel pin with a golden mic. Struck me as very apropos. And Margot even said to me, are you a previous recipient of one of these awards? Because it looks like it goes with the awards show. And, um, and of course, I'm not. The last time I wore this lapel pin... Ernie Anastas was here, and he complimented me on it, and I gave it to him. So I went out and got another one online, and I was trying to give Margot mine, but she says, no, I'm not going to wear it. But the reason, because she was asking me where I got it and everything, she's very complimentary. But I think she may be designing a new lapel pin based on this golden mic design. So I did not wear a tuxedo, even though it was uh, a black tie affair, but I did wear literally a black tie. And my plan, it's its a black necktie, but with a pinstripe, you know, navy blue suit. My plan was, if anyone said, hey, you don't belong here, hey, look, it's a black tie affair. My tie is black. And thankfully... I was not the only person at our table that did not wear a tuxedo. Sid Rosenberg, he looked good. He always looks good. Sid is a uh, fashion plate. And for those of you listening around the country, Sid hosts a very popular morning show, Sid and Friends in the Morning on WABC. He always looks good. Um, I mean, in part, it's because he's in such great shape. I mean, whatever he wears, he's going to look good in it. But he did not even wear, I don't even think he wore a suit. Like, he wore a nice-looking sports jacket. I, he wore a uh, you know nice looking shirt. 
I don't think he had a tie on, though. So uh, Sid made it. He kind of was the Jackie Robinson of non-Tuxedo wearers. He broke the clothing color barrier. Spectacular. So thank you to Sid for that. And uh, everyone, ever, no, nobody raised an issue. I had all sorts of offers. My friend Bill Marco said, hey, I'll bring you a Tuxedo. Listeners were emailing me saying, oh, you could go there and go this and do that. So I am going to have to buy a Tuxedo. I don't know what happened to the one that I had. I think it was very run down. I had it for four or five years, and I wore it all the time. But I haven't seen it in a while. I think it had holes in it and stuff. So I'm just going to get a new one. And I think because we end up going to these events a lot, I think I might really spring for a nice tuxedo. Maybe I'll maybe I'll go actually get a custom uh, custom made tuxedo. So we'll see. Because while they're more expensive, they do last a long time. This suit that I I wore I'm wearing now I've had it for 17 years. Right. So and it's. It, it's a custom-made suit that I had made 17 years ago. Still still wears well, honestly. All right, uh, 800-848-9222. By the way, we're going to go through your mail next hour. If you have mail, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Carl's in Virginia. Hello, Carl. Yeah, hi. Is your name Frank? Frank Morano, right? Uh, yeah. When last seen, yes. Hello. Okay, very good. No, I'm Italian also. I'm calling. I'm originally from. I'm calling from Richmond, but I'm originally from D.C. Let me tell you something. You're doing a wonderful service to everybody in New York having that lieutenant colonel on the phone and on that interview because he's right on. I believe. I also was down. I mean, I was in the Navy many years ago in the '70s, but I was down uh, at uh, in Jacksonville, North Carolina, two years ago for about a year and a half, and uh, with the Marines and everything. And, yeah, we can't win it. And actually, the president of communist China two years ago. It was around this time, maybe April, two years ago, already told his people, his country, to prepare for war. So these guys have been preparing. And also the whole outlook of the uh, Asians, the Orientals, is long-term. You know, anything, like, for instance, like in, uh, in uh, let's say, anything that is an art, martial art, even craftsmen, you know, like the Japanese or the Chinese, you know, lacquerware, the benchmark to be good is after 10 years of failure. They're very persevering. They're very intelligent. And they're the oldest culture, along with India, in the world, 7,000 years. And they've been through So it's a, um, a complete mess. And I think I want to give one suggestion, because I'm, I'm, you're probably Republican. Certainly, I like your program, you know, bringing that colonel on, to President Trump out there. Play the, um, uh, let's say, the high road or the moral road it's not just it's not just party difference. Democrats, Republicans It's not the economy. It's also good versus evil. And also that I think Donald Trump, I think he he married a Catholic. So I think he's Catholic. I'm Catholic. He's and, uh, he's uh, Presbyterian. OK, OK. But his wife, I think, is Catholic. Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, but still, you know, because I lost my wife. She died uh, oh, in, in, a, in a nursing home. But it's OK. I'm, I'm pursuing something. This is down in North Carolina. But. The point is, uh, he's a good man, and he's for make American great. But to make American great, you got to bring America back to God. If you go back 800, 900 years to the uh, kings in France, there was one king that was instructing his son, the prince. He was the son, the prince was maybe twenty-two, and it was look for the moral welfare of the people, and that's Call. what you. Call. I have to run. I have to run. Well, um, you know, you said a lot there. I can't respond to everything. 
But um, much of it I agree with, and uh, I appreciate you calling. I hope you'll call regularly and listen regularly. Those of you that are on hold, uh, I will get to you after the top of the hour. And uh, if you want to be heard, you can do so, 800-848-9222. We'll go through the mail. You can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com if you want your letter read. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. a boy, maybe, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, I would go to summer camp during the summers. Obviously, you're not going to go to summer camp during the winter. And uh, once in a blue moon, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Mill Road Day Camp, had a great time there. Would uh, play softball and dodgeball. And a lot of my friends went and had a great time. But once in a while, I just didn't want to go. Once in a blue moon. And I'm saying maybe this happened once or twice a summer. Maybe I just wanted to chill out, hang out, you know, not do anything, stay home. And my stepmother said to me at the time, she said, yeah, maybe we can look at during the summer, we can give you three mental health days that you can take. And you don't have to have a reason. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to tell a lie about being sick. You just say you don't want to go to camp today. And, um, you know, you take them. And I said, oh, okay, that sounds great. I said, can I try and do the same thing when it comes to school? She said, no, I I don't think that would be appropriate. Maybe you can do one per year when it comes to to school. Uh, And whatever. It was, it was, but that was the first time that I ever encountered the term mental health day. And I have to tell you, I loved it. I loved it and I've been using it. Ever since. And because I would use the term more and more, all my peers would use it. Right? In high school, if somebody was uh, would would stay home one day without being sick, I would say, Oh, would you take a mental health day? And they loved the term too. And it would and it would it would cascade. When I was producing the Curtis and Kuby radio show, I used the term once. And obviously Kuby, who never missed an opportunity to take a day off, he adopted it. As a term that he used. And uh, obviously you can imagine how Curtis reacted to that when Ron would say he was taking off for a mental health day. Curtis would say, what? What the heck is a mental health day? Well, since then, we have seen an evolution in understanding about mental health. We have seen a lot of concerns about anxiety, depression, and stress when it comes to children. So one lawmaker that I actually really like, he's actually one of my favorites in New Jersey, one New Jersey lawmaker is proposing something very interesting. It's not as uh, informal as the way I use the term mental health day, but... State Senator Richard Cody, the former governor 
of, of New Jersey. He's in the state Senate. There's a pair of bills in the state Senate that he's proposed that would guarantee New Jersey school, school children the right to take a mental health day when things just become overwhelming for students. So Cody would allow students to take excused absences from public school for mental or behavioral health days during the course of each school year. The bill, along with a similar piece of legislation introduced by State Senator Vin Gopal, was first discussed at a State Senate Education Committee meeting last month. Cody said, you didn't talk about issues like this when I was younger. We have to give a signal to students who are depressed to not be ashamed. Now, I agree with him on that. And he's been a warrior on the issue of mental health. His wife has had some issues with mental mental health, and he actually went undercover uh, to monitor some of the homes that mental mentally ill people were being housed in and treated in to write about and expose some of the conditions. He would disguise himself as a patient, and it's a really interesting story. We'll have him back on and talk about it, but he's, he's a great guy, and this is an issue near and dear to his heart. But if passed... New Jersey would join a dozen other states who allow students to miss some amount of class time due to mental health issues. The text of the bill says the bill entitles public school students up to five absences with reasons that will be considered state-recognized excused absences. The bill would also excuse a student from being considered chronically absent, because of the 10% requirement and would not exclude a student from having perfect attendance. And these aren't just personal days to take without an excuse. There's a policy to follow with guidelines that would define an excused absence related to the mental day. This is from the bill. These are the four things that it mentions. One, the pupil shall be given the opportunity to make up any schoolwork missed during the absence. Two, After two absences, the pupil may be referred to the appropriate school support staff. Three, a school district shall not consider a day taken as an absence, but an excused absence and a pupil's attendance record shall not show any excused absences for mental or behavioral health day. And four, the student may be required by the school district to provide any non-medical documentation which the superintendent or administrative principal of the school district deems necessary to prove the pupil meets their requirements. What do you think of this? 800-848-9222. I think this is a good idea. Um, But I actually, I would actually maybe go further. Now, let me tell you what the Gopal bill do uh, does. A separate bill introduced by Senator Gopal takes a little bit more cautious approach. It would simply allow districts to define school absences to include mental health days and direct the State Department of Education to develop guidelines for doing so. So these bills are in committee and they'd need to be voted out of the committee before either of them are considered by the full Senate. So I I like the Cody bill. And if I were, you know, in the state Senate in New Jersey, I'd vote for it. Curious if you would. 800-848-9222. But. I would almost go further. I think that um, if a student knows that they're taking off for a mental health day, 
a, a true mental health day. Then there's and they have to submit documentation around it, which they would have to do apparently under more than two absences. Then I think there is going to be a stigma, which is going to have these students reluctant to take one of these mental health days. And sometimes my view is you just need a day off. Sometimes. Sometimes you just need a day off. If I were in the legislature, and it's probably because I'm proposing proposing off-the-wall bills like this that I will never be in the legislature. But if I were in the legislature, I would suggest that you allow students up to, say, three excused absences for any purpose that they could use as personal days. You don't have to make up a lie. You don't have to get a doctor's note. You want to you want to stay home and play video games? You get one. You want to go to the Yankees World Championship Parade? You get one. You want to um, you want to stay home and play in the snow? You get one. You get three. In, under the Morano proposal, you get three personal days. And w- what that does, one is I think it it accomplishes some of the same things as the Cody bill without being as intense and as structured. But it also, it just gives kids a break. Sometimes a kid might be stressed out, but they don't necessarily fit the description of one of the criteria as spelled out in this bill. I think letting children take personal days, and maybe three is not the right number, maybe it's two. But letting children take three personal days for excused absences I think it's such good training ground for the workplace because when you start a job, right? I I used to arrive in school late from time to time. And you know what? uh, You know what my teachers all would say almost to a T like they were reading from a textbook. They would say, hey, if you can't get here on time, what are you supposed to do when you get a job? And the job starts at whatever time. Now, I have to tell you, in the radio business, that is so true. Um, if you're uh, if you're a minute late for this show, the show starts without you. What are you supposed to do? So I think the punctuality and the the enforcement of punctuality in school is a good thing because it's good training ground for the workplace. And by the same token, I think allowing students to take personal days in school is good training ground for the workplace. It teaches them emotional intelligence. It teaches them how to budget their time. How to that they can't use up all their personal days when um, I don't know when when uh, Green Day is in town. I don't know. Is Green Day even still bad? I have no idea. But you get what I mean. I think that um, it would teach children a little bit of responsibility. It shows that the system trusts students to make some decisions about themselves. And look, they still have to make up the work. They're not going to be able to get out of that homework assignment, that book report, that test. Maybe you get a stay of execution for a day. But um, I'm curious what you think of this. Both the Cody proposal, which is similar to a dozen other states, and the Morano proposal. My proposal is for personal days and that you could take an have an excused absence for any reason you want up to three per semester. What do you think? 800-848-9222. You know, it's so funny the things that you do as a student in order to get more time to work on a project. 
I tried every trick in the book. I remember one time, and I tried this more than once, honestly, in different classes. But you, you have to, you can't do it one more than once in the same class. One time, I let's say it was homework assignment number twenty-three, due in in social studies class. Well, I took homework assignment number twenty-three that I'd already completed for science class and handed it in. And then uh, when the teacher says, wait a minute, I think you handed this to me by mistake. It's a day later. And I can say, oh, I'm sorry. I just reached for homework number 23 and I found that one. I, I here's, here's homework number 23, which I took an extra day to work on. Here it is. Here. Here you go. And uh, and that works more often than not, I must say. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I'm curious what you think of the Cody proposal. Eight hundred nine eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. I'm curious what you think of the Morano proposal. Mental health days, personal days, or just status quo? Uh, if you if you're old fashioned, right? Whatever you think. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. George is in Manhattan. Hello, George. All right, Williams in Asbury Park. Hello, William. Hello, Mr. Moreno. You can uh, call me Frank. A, okay, Frank. Um, I had a comment on the Ukraine situation. If not, I'll stay on subject. Sure, be my guest. Now. Well, you can make you can make two comments if you want. Okay. Um, first, I think if Russia were driving them into the arms of China, and now you know about the BRICS currency. Now they got that gives them a card to play. What do you think would happen when half the world's or three quarters of the world's population start trading oil and shelf mother and dollars? And what I would think when you have them, the House of Saud, and maybe the Iranians out the back door and the Pakistanis, the Indians in Brazil, they all start trading oil and bricks. It's bye bye Brent Woods and Hello Weimar for us. Well, yeah, I think that's a very real uh, problem and a very real possibility. I don't necessarily see the Saudis teaming with the Iranians, but if uh, the Saudis made the decision on their own to uh, start measuring the price of a barrel of oil in um, renminbi or uh, any sort of other currency, yuan or uh, anything else, then, yeah, yeah. The, the U.S. dollar would have a, a tough time with that. Yeah, China and Russia right now are kind of like natural partners economically because China's got inflation problem and Russia right now got a deflation problem. Well, and um, they need oil, right? Uh, The Chinese need oil and the Russians are happy to sell it to them. The one problem there is they don't have the infrastructure to get it to China without using boats. They don't have pipelines from Russia to China, but those can be built out, but it might take a decade. All right. So, William, um, what it, did you have something to add on the school situation as well? This yeah, I, 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 I'd say just call it a sick day. You know, hey, my kid's got a cold or something. He's, he's got a slight fever. It better not go in. You know, I, I had experience with this. You know, I, I used to just skip when I was getting bullied in the sixth grade and stuff. and I didn't want to go in. Well, that's, no, and that's a shame, right? The, we shouldn't put children. And thanks for the call, William. We shouldn't put children in that in that position of skipping class because they're being bullied or making up a lie about being sick, right? That's what I did, you know, when I just didn't want to go to summer camp one day. I said, I'm not feeling well. And my stepmother said, well, I mean, it's not right that you would lie to us or anybody else about not feeling well. You should always tell the truth. You shouldn't just lie. 
And this mental health day proposal from these two state senators in New Jersey, they make it so you don't have to lie. My proposal, I think, obviously, is even better because you don't even have to say it's a mental health day. You could take a personal day for whatever reason you want. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Hey, Frank. You know, I got to tell you something. Both of these proposals, uh, I don't want to be dramatic about it, but I think they're both a bunch of crap. Okay, and I'm not being I'm not being reactionary. And the reason is, is because school is not work. School is something that kids are supposed to be enthusiastic about uh, and looking for excuses to go, not to go. Okay, and that's why if things get overwhelming and, uh, you know, for the child, the parent should keep the child home and make every excuse to cover up because the kid is not supposed to be seen as not enthusiastic about school. And also, when you put a kid in the hole about making up work, uh, you know, this is school is a lot more demanding than, than a job. I mean, the real world could wait, but an education cannot wait. Well, sometimes the real world can wait. Sometimes it can't. You know, it's so interesting. You said a lot of interesting things um, throughout your, your comment. But why should the parent cover for uh, if a child's overwhelmed? Why should the parent make up a lie and say that, you know, they you have a fever or something? Why shouldn't why is it any less acceptable that, you know, he's he's taking off today because he's feeling anxious and overwhelmed? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an example that you raised. <clears throat> Let's say the issue of bullying. Well, the reason is, is because for two reasons. First of all, bullying should not exist. So by, by keeping the kid home for that reason, you're giving it to the status quo. And second of all, because the way to handle bullying is not by running away from it, but by standing right up to it, because these issues don't go away, especially in school. Yeah, I, I certainly agree that bullying uh, should not exist. But uh, again, put the bullying, uh, but it, one, it does. And two, put the bullying thing aside. What if a child is just feeling anxious, overworked, and overwhelmed? Why should a parent have to make up an excuse? Why can't that parent just say, as they'd be able to under the Cody bill, uh, my child is feeling underwhelmed or, or overwhelmed and um, is we're keeping him home today? Well, I'll tell you why, because it's not fair to the child. See, when, it, when somebody gets older, um, adult or adolescent, it's not that, they, uh, it's not that they, they, they look to leap into therapy. They succumb to the need for therapy. Children are at an age where they don't have to succumb to anything. They can overcome anything. When you're a child, you have all the power because you have all the support systems in the world. When you get older, your support systems failed, and then you need to succumb to a mental health day. But as a child, you got all your pistons firing. That's your peak of strength. Yeah, I, I think it's also a time – I think you might be uh, making childhood a lot easier than it is for many children. I think it's also a time when 
you're very confused about well, it's a time, especially for an adolescent, where you're you have all sorts of hormones uh, that your body's producing that your body and your brain don't know what to do with. I, I think it's a time when you're very confused about your own body. You're trying to figure things out. You're kind of a, you have a foot in both worlds between being a child and being an adult. Uh, you're trying to figure out your own future. You're dealing with family uh, issues, and you're all the while trying to keep up with two and a half, three hours of homework. I, I think it's a, a much more stressful time for a lot of children than, than you're making it out to be. Well, let me tell you something. It, it's very challenging. I can tell you from my example, in high, in high school – Okay, my my parents sent me to see a psychiatrist. I traveled from Brooklyn to Manhattan twice a week for nine months wow. to see a psychiatrist. Did absolutely nothing for me, but I never took a day off because of because I needed a mental health day. Yeah, well, so but now you would be able to. Now I'm not a big believer in pushing anybody into therapy. And thanks for the call, Larry. Um, I'm not a big believer in pushing anyone into therapy. I, I think um, we have a tendency as society to rush into therapy, both as individuals and for others. You know, there's a there's a therapist for that, right? I think there's a lot of things that sometimes can be managed with a day off. And uh, I think uh, that's why I like the Cody proposal. I think it's a step in the right direction. But the Frank Morano proposal, I think, is is obviously even better. 800-848-9222. Well, you're going to be very excited. We have found George in Manhattan. He's back. Hello, George. Hi. Uh, so, uh, Frank, how's everything? Well, I think it's just fine. Thank you for okay, asking. Okay, not bad. Thank you. Good. Listen, now, re- regarding, uh, there are two topics, three, and maybe four, actually four of them you brought up. Can I uh, make quick comments vis-a-vis two yeah, of quick, them? Yeah, quick, George. All quick right. being the operative One is word. regarding uh, the uh, extension of uh, the uh, representative numbers mm-hmm. from 435. All right. Now, what that would do would be uh, less time per, per, uh, you know, per representative, more waste. You need more space, you know, practical space, diminution in quality. You know, too many cooks spoil the broth, etc. There would be less efficiency and so forth. Well, but George, George, uh, George, have you seen what I need? Congress? I mean, you're going to say that there's that Congress is demonstrating anything resembling efficiency? Congress is just a mess. It's it, there's no there's nothing resembling efficiency in Congress. It'll be worse than uh, you know when it expands. Okay. With too many representatives. But regarding that, are you basing that on anything? Up. Are you basing that on anything when when Israel, when Germany, when uh, Great Britain expanded their parliament? Was there actually a decrease in efficiency in those countries in their legislatures? Well, you're making a pretty interesting point. Well, no, I don't well, you compare made the point. our system with other system because of course the not. British do system, that? parliamentary system, is superior to ours, in my humble opinion, and that they can get rid of a president who's rogue, for example, who's uh, ruining his or her nation, you know, they can get rid of that person. But we cannot do it unless and until we change, we amend our system whereby presidents are elected every three years, okay. up to nine years maximum. All right, well, we're getting so off the we beaten path here, George. More well, what was your other, what was your other uh, comment, George? Okay, regarding the uh, Russia, Putin has 
in his bunker, you know, all the buttons, right, at his fingertips mm -hmm. in Siberia. He can just stroll down there. If this goes to the extreme and they push him uh, to the corner, you know, uh, if this keeps going on and on and on and on and on instead of cutting it out once for all, the sooner this comes to an end, the better for all parties involved. Zelensky is the biggest problem in this war. He's the culprit because he could have said, I'm not joining NATO, at least for the foreseeable future. And then when Putin was gone, they could have joined NATO. Uh, Zelensky, uh, Putin needs uh, that uh, buffer zone between his nation and 30, uh, now it's 32, you know, okay. NATO members. Thank you, George. I, I gotta, I'm going to try and get to some other people. I appreciate the call. 800-848-9222. Six open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. Marianne is in Queens. Hello, Marianne. Good morning, friend. Well, um, as a mother, okay, I uh, I do not agree with uh, the legislation to give the children one day of whatever they want. Five days. And let right. me tell you, yes, I don't think that they will stop lying, making believe that they are sick to take another one. Uh, we need the school. Yes, they're going to do it. Do you think they're going to stop it? Well, no, that's a good point. More than one. That's a good point. And yes, and a school is for discipline. They have to learn discipline. Children cannot give a day off if they do nothing in the, in, in the house. Let them go to school and get used to the discipline. That's a good, good education for them. I, this is what, as a mother, I believe, John Frank. Well said, Marianne. Hey, I uh, can't argue with that, right? 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls, and then we got the mail coming up in uh, a little bit as well. This is The Other Side of Midnight Straight Ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight i am frank morano and uh, we're going to take your calls in a moment 800-848-9222 we got the mail coming up and uh, no more guests so it's you and me for the rest of the way uh, plenty of opportunities for us to interact 800-848-9222 but you know what really grinds my gears i will tell you I am very frustrated by gmail there's a lot of great things about gmail it's it's easy to search 
It integrates very well with your mobile device and your computer. You can include uh, meeting invites. There's a lot of great things about Gmail. But for some reason, when I go through my Gmail and there's there's just something uh, – most of my day is spent going through my email. And I use the email as a way to find the next thing that I have to do, right? What I mean by that is, okay, uh, let's say I wake up in the afternoon and I have 120 unread emails. I will say, okay, I'm going to read 20 without doing anything. Then at 100, I'm going to make a list of all the things that I have to do for the show. And at 90, I'm going to accomplish one of those things that I'll have to do for the show. Then at 80, meaning 80 emails left unread, I will accomplish another task. Then at 70, I will uh, read an article that I have open on a tab on my computer and read that. Then at 60, I'm going to accomplish a non-show task. Then at 50, I'll do, you know, uh, another show task. you know, And how I go through my email, it governs my whole day legitimately. So I can't tell you how often this happens to me where I'm going through my emails in chronological order and I will I believe that I have, you know, I, that I've been going through them all and then I get to the top and I find, oh, you still have six, seven, 10, 11 unread emails. Where? Where are they? I just... Spent the last day going through them. And then I have to go backwards. And you go backwards. Sometimes it's a few hours. Sometimes it's a day. And you ultimately find this little little cache of unread emails. How did these get here? I was going through these. I feel like Gmail bounces you around to make it so that you don't – you can't go through these in, in email order easily. Outlook's not like that. Outlook, it's easy. It's never happened to me with Outlook. It happens to me all the time with Gmail. So that's that. 800-848-9222. But that falls into the category of uh, of first world problems. Am I right? And, you know, Mondays are always a um, – Mondays are always a little bit of a challenge for me. I mean, the show is not that much of a challenge. This is such a blessing to be able to do this show. It's so much fun and it's great, you know. But in terms of lifestyle. Monday is the only day that I do the show where I don't really get a full night's sleep before it because, you know, you get a, I get a full night's sleep on Monday into Tuesday. I'll wake up in the afternoon. I'll go about my day, and then I'll come here, and I've got six, seven hours of sleep behind me. Same thing every night except Monday. You know, on Monday, before Monday's show, I'm lucky if maybe I can get 45 minutes or an hour nap before the show. It's a far cry from six or seven hours. So by the end of Monday's shows, it's always it's always tough. It's always physically tough. Not necessarily finishing the show, but it's tough managing to drive home. That's the that's the difficulty. So what I did yesterday is I took I always try to take a B12 in the morning and sometimes a B12 before the show, and that gives you a little bit of a shot of energy. I took 3 B12s. Um, one when the show started, one an hour before the show, one two hours before the show. And then by the last hour of the show, by the fourth hour of the show, my stomach started to feel crummy. Now, I hadn't eaten anything bad. I certainly hadn't drank anything. I've been 
I've been very, very careful about anything that I've eaten, especially for the last 13 days. So I'm thinking it can't be something that I've eaten. What could it be? Could it be the B12? Sure enough, I look up and consuming excess amounts of B12 can cause stomach problems. So I said, okay, that's it. Uh, that's that's what it is. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to move on with my life. And I finished the show. No big deal. Hopefully, I sounded just as good as ever. Didn't sound like I had a sour stomach in that hour. And then I, I start driving home. Now, again, this drive home on Mondays is always a struggle. Sometimes people will call me. Sometimes I'll call people. I'll listen to compelling radio programming. And it's never a struggle at the beginning because I keep the car so cold when I get into it. I don't use the auto start or anything that the little little frigid the fact that it's so frigid the frigidity wakes you up a little bit. So it's never it's never a struggle until about two thirds of the way it's your home. So I hit about the two thirds mark, and I'm starting to feel drowsy. Now my rule of thumb is I don't take a chance. If I and I did drink two cups of coffee when I was here at the radio station. If I am feeling drowsy, even a hint of drowsiness, I will pull over and take a nap because the last thing I need is to be falling asleep while driving and get into an accident. Absolutely the last thing that, I, that, I'll, that I'll need. And um, that's what I did. So I get in drowsy, pull over, and I recline the chair a little bit, take a nap, 45 minutes or so. Great. I'm now awake, well, awake enough to make it home. And sure enough, something very interesting happens. And I don't know that this has ever really happened upon waking up before. But I put my car seat back up to begin driving home. And I had the most awful heartburn. And I'm trying to think what it could be. I haven't drank anything in two weeks. Uh, I mean, yeah, I did have some spices over over the weekend, some pepper and maybe some garlic. Maybe that's it. And I did have two cups of coffee at work and then another cup of coffee Saturday night, maybe – and another cup of coffee uh, Saturday morning. Maybe it's because I've been drinking more coffee. I um, – but I had such a hard time with heartburn yesterday morning – and this has happened to me a couple of times now. And usually, you know, I'll take some Tums and it goes away. Uh, but last time this happened, where I really felt severe heartburn, Rachel gave me some uh, Prilosec that you that you take when uh, – that she took when she was experiencing heartburn when she was with child. And I found it did help. So I took some of that, but I was still having such a tough time. And I'm going online researching all these heartburn remedies. I'm trying them all. One says uh, drink baking soda in water. I'm drinking that. I'm taking Pepto. I try one of these uh, Prilosex that Rachel uh, that Rachel had. Uh, there's all sorts of documentation about how you should sleep. Sleep on your left side. That's one school of thought. Another school of thought is sleep elevated, right? And um, I'm trying all these things. Eventually, I fell asleep. I, I kept myself kind of propped up, but it was very uncomfortable, I have to say. So I'm not sure what it is that brought about that kind of heartburn. But I'll tell you, between um, between Saturday not being able to donate blood because I had uh, a blood pressure that was too high 
And uh, yesterday, having uh, heartburn that was literally keeping me awake, I'm starting to feel all of a sudden like an old man, which I've never felt like before. So I'm refraining from coffee today. I uh, am going coffeeless. And I used to always refrain from coffee. I would save coffee for just one once a week on Saturdays. But uh, I've gradually, you know, I really enjoy coffee. I like everything about it. I love the smell. I love the taste. I love the jolt that you get from it. I love that it helps keep you awake. I, I really, I enjoy the socialization aspect of coffee. And I know there's decaffeinated coffee, but... It's not the it's not the same. So I have not had uh, any coffee today. We'll see how how that goes if uh, if I have a similar episode today. But if anybody has any uh, experiences that they've dealt with in terms of heartburn like that, email me. Let me know. Frank at wabcradio.com. That's Frank at wabcradio.com. We've already got some good emails for today. Uh, that I will read to you in a few minutes, but a uh, few people have been patiently holding. Let me say hello to Alona in Westchester. Hello, Alona. Hi. Um, two suggestions. One, see your doctor. <laughs> that would help. Yes, because... I'm going to do that. Good. Okay. Um, and you're young, so don't, you know. I'm not so, that, yeah, anyway. I'm not worried. That is good. Second thing is, um, I've been a child's like nurse. And uh, truly, with the mental health that's going on, the issues, I think it's awesome because someone may be stressed out, but they don't want to say it. But when you give them that day or that time, they can, you know, be home, maybe talk to their parents, and something may come out of it that might not have otherwise that they held in. Do you not agree? Absolutely, I agree. Well... I'm telling you, they better start. They better start taking care of our kids better, you know. In school, this stupid woke nonsense is ridiculous. They need to learn. And the guy that was on the phone, what is it, George, that was saying that this is wrong? I'm sorry, but <laughs> I've been a nurse 30 plus years, and he's wrong. Children, you know, they have a difficult time. They're picked on. Um, and they're stressed out, and some of them are committing suicide. So I think this is a start in the right direction. Yeah, I, I do too. Thank you very much, Alone. Appreciate it. 800 848 That's 800-848-9222. Robert's in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hi, Frank. Hi, Robert. I disagree. Okay, tell I us why. I don't think the me- mental health thing is a good idea. I have been picked on, bullied in school when I went there since grade school. I also had other issues. I became emotionally depressed, but I got counseling. I didn't take days off from school. And this is something that could be abused by special groups that want to be have special treatment like the LGBTQIA well, with the issues they're going through. Counseling yeah. is the appropriate thing. Well, but, um, okay, I, thank you, Robert. And um, as Marianne pointed out, you know, certainly this can be abused, but anything can be abused. So, I, I don't know, I tend to side more with Alona and uh, maybe even Dick Cody on this. We'll do the mail in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 
You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Absolutely terrific show, uh, a terrific film. I've never seen the uh, Broadway show, but um, but I, I would certainly like to. This is Rick Moranis from the film. I love that picture. And this was a birthday bumper music selection by my friend Richie Lombardi. Richie's a great guy uh, and uh, not only accomplished business guy, also a pretty good chef. And uh, when he... When he when I broke the Guinness World Record for longest live TV talk show marathon, there was we did thirty three hours, and he came and gave a, a recipe with oranges and olive oil and pepper, and it was uh, it was very 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 good. People are still talking about it who saw it, and uh, Richie's a great guy, a kidney transplant recipient, needed a kidney, and you know who he got it from, his brother in law. His brother-in-law, John. So it's his birthday today, and uh, but for the donation, very kind, of his brother-in-law, John Tirolosi, he might not be celebrating today. So it's a lesson for all of us. All right, without further ado, we've got some mail to go through. Let's get at it. All right, this is from E.M. Wolf in Mountainside, New Jersey. This is good old-fashioned snail mail, and uh, I'll give you the P.O. box to reach us out in a moment if you want to. It's got a Post-it note attached to it, and it says, Frank, that other song sucks. Okay. And it says, The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Murano. It has Murano spelled wrong. It's M-U-R-A-N-O. And this is the song. He's on the other side. Oh, yes, that's right. That's 77, that's 770 ABC 1 to 5, his weekly radio ride to educate us all, to down those walls, listening to his show so we will all grow. 
does his show with pride, takes callers in their stride. Now as to this end, Frank is our radio friend. It's the Frank Morano Show, the only way to go. So long, Curtis. It's time for you to go. You have a long ride, so now just say goodbye. All right, well, so it's difficult for me to judge just based on the lyrics. It almost is more like a poem than uh, a song because I don't know what beat we should be saying the lyrics to. If you want to record something, E.M. Wolf, and send it to us, we'll play it happily. All right, this is uh, an email from Bruce listening in Belize, who um, Kenneth does not believe is really in San Pedro, Belize. Um, On the subject of our interview with Colonel Daniel Davis, I see it this way, a complete conflict of interest, and I compare it to that lying weasel Fauci. The military-industrial complex isn't much different than the big pharma-medical-industrial complex, who are these so-called experts who are getting paid handsomely. I'm sure, just like Fauci, Gates and the drug companies making a killing. The government's been lying to its citizens for who knows how long. The war hawks like Bolton, Gordon Chang, Bolton, advocating war, no more war. Our track record sucks, and Biden is definitely compromised. That's Bruce from Brazil. Uh, Andrew writes, subject, hello, you are the greatest wonderful show and content. Oh, thank you. Just a note. Oh, boy. The L in Salmon is silent. Or is it meant to be a joke? The L in Salmon, the name of a fish, is not pronounced. It has to do with the way the word evolved through different languages. However, there is a surname, Salmon, in which the L is pronounced. It is a form of the name Solomon. Best regards. Well, I've heard this before of the the people that like to say salmon, which to me is just silly. What? Uh, because the L is right there. Why waste it? Right? What's the L doing? So I've heard this many times before. Um, and you got to understand, language is... What we make of the the only reason. So, what I mean by that is the only reason it's now considered acceptable to use the word literally when you really mean figuratively is because people were saying it. The only reason it's now considered acceptable to use um, the the term "I could care less" is because people were saying it. So, all it takes is to get terms. Adopted in popular usage. So I am determined to get my pronunciation of salmon adopted in American popular usage. And you might ask yourself, well, hey, what's going on here? Why is the L in salmon silent supposedly to begin with? Excellent question if you asked it. Well, the word comes ultimately from the Latin salmon. But... We got it by way of the French, as we did with so many other food words. The French, as was their want, had swallowed up the Latin L in their pronunciation. So by the time we English borrowed the word, it was salmon. No L in the spelling, and so no L in the pronunciation. But the Latin speakers pronounced it with L. So I feel... I am more true to the roots of the word salmon than the people that say salmon. 
because I am more of a throwback than you are. I am more of a traditionalist than you are because I'm saying the way that the Latin speakers said it. Additionally, you might ask yourself, well, why do we say salmon but not salmonella? What do we say? We say salmonella. Why? Spelled the same, S-A-L-M-O-N. So, one, in terms of consistency, you got to have consistency. And I'm going with salmon, and I'm going with salmonella. Salmonella, by the way, by the way, was uh, named after Daniel Elmer Salmon. And I think it would be disrespectful to him to run around pronouncing it salmon, salmon. Salmon is the way I'm saying it. If you want to come with me, I'd love to have you. Claire writes on the subject of ShopRite, etc. Hey, Frank, Instacart is an independent company that sends people to grocery stores all over New York to stop to shop for people. If you shop at home from the ShopRite app or the website, there's a $9.99 delivery charge. If you spend over $100, there's a shopper charge of $4.99. It disappears if you spend over $100. Claire. Thank you, Claire. Very nice. Uh, on the subject of... Oh, similar. This person did not sign his email. But uh, subject, Tux. Frank, can anyone say big ego and amateurish mentality by not saying tuxedo correctly is just one example. Well, look, if you're looking for a show that has a small ego and a lot of um, maturity, this is not the show for you. Um John writes, uh, he had another interesting email on uh, Instacart, similar to what, what, what Claire said. But uh, this, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. Well, actually, we've got time for two more. Barry writes, Francis. That's how he's addressing me. Francis. Now, of course, my name is not Francis. My name on my birth certificate is Frank. But hey, right, if we're in this era where... You can just say you're a woman by being a woman, and you could say something is pronounced Salmon by pronouncing it Salmon. If this guy wants to call me Francis, who am I to disagree? Francis, I'm a 78-year-old who's been listening to talk radio for more than 70 years. My stepfather retired from WOR Radio and TV in 1965 as the director of operations. He joined the station after he was forced to leave Ireland in 1924 and 1925 due to his participation on the losing side of the Irish Civil War. Joe Franklin, our friend, whose birthday it is this week, was a very close friend and wanted him to open a radio station in Florida in 1965, but that part never worked out. I appreciate your recognizing on a regular basis all the great personalities. In terms of interviewing skills, you and Lynn Samuels are a dead heat. A mighty comment on my part. I mostly listen to you as a podcast and have no interest in getting involved in social media. You made some comments in terms of commanders in a nuclear base unit failing inspection in your Frank's condemnation segment. I'd like to call you a pompous ass, but I'm too fond of you to do so. If someone stole a loaf of bread and did so because they were starving and had no money to pay for it, this would be quite different than if you or I stole it. Well, sometimes I'm pretty broke and sometimes I'm pretty hungry, Barry. Circumstances. Since you did not know the reason the unit failed, it's doubtful any civilian will without a need to know. You should not condemn them. 
I worked in a nuclear-capable unit during Vietnam era. I was the intelligence as well as the lock officer for the unit. In other words, I was responsible for authenticating the release of the nuclear weapons. We once failed an inspection because someone at the site where they manufacture the weapon sabotaged them and put an epoxy where a lubricant should have been. We had these faulty weapons on site. We failed inspection through no fault of our own. My point is this. You don't know enough facts to condemn the unit or its personnel. To your credit, in the three years I have been potting your show, I agreed with you 90% of the time as it relates to this section. Also on the same show, the 21-year-old Jewish gentleman who was accosted when he was a youth identified the assailant, though they were never identified as being Irish. I'm surprised you didn't make a comment about what might be in our uber-sensitive society at best verging on profiling the Irish and uh, Barry. Thanks for helping make my day. I listen as often as I can. Um, then he writes, Frank, you're a good and fair man. Do me one favor. Be inclusive of your wonderful son's heritage. It's not so bad having a few drops of Irish blood in you. Well, first of all, how do you know I'm not? There's there's St. Patrick's Day stuff all over our house. There's green. There's uh, leprechauns. There's shamrocks. And the kid looks much more Irish than Italian. All right. No other time for email, but hopefully on the next edition of... Next hour, uh, we are going to delve into this Fox lawsuit and a whole lot more. Until then, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. I don't really watch cable news. I mean, I, I have seen cable news, and if there's a major breaking news event, uh, I will turn it on. But I don't watch cable news regularly for a variety of reasons, mostly because I think it's boring. It's repetitive, it's stale, and it's a it's basically propaganda for one media outlet or another. And it's basically people repeating talking points. Now, there are two exceptions to that to that. Right. One is CNN's Michael Smirconish, but that's an hour a week. It's on Saturdays at 9 o'clock Eastern. Now they repeat him later in the day. To me, Smirkanish is gifted, and he's a true independent, and he's really all over the place. He covers a lot of the same subjects I cover, and I enjoy his radio show, too. He's been a guest on this show a couple of times. I really am a huge fan of Smirkanish, even though I don't always agree with him, which is, you know, which is fine. I'm not looking to agree with people. I'm looking for something different. I'm looking for something smart. I'm looking for something fun. Looking for something creative, looking for something that's not the same boring, repetitive droll that you see on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, Fox Business all day long. And the other show is, and I've said this for a while, Tucker Carlson. I and I know that the Tucker Carlson program has changed a bit in the uh, in the five years or so that he's been on in prime time. I think he's terrific. I really think he does such a great job. And 
part of what I so re- find so refreshing about him, much like Smirkanish, I find that he'll have on many of the same guests that we'll have on. Not because, you know, I'm taking my cue from him or he's taking his cue from me. I don't even think he knows who I am. But because we are both looking for people that are saying alternative things. The the most pronounced, the best example is um, Colonel Douglas McGregor. But you also have, uh, when he was alive, Professor Stephen Cohen on the Russia situation. Our fondness for Tulsi Gabbard. You know, um, but it's also, I just, I'm always amazed that Tucker is able to get away with saying the things that he does about the military industrial complex, about everybody. I remember at the height of the Trump administration, when you had everybody on Fox basically doing a Hannity routine, basically all saying, oh, Trump can do no wrong. He's amazing. Tucker did 20 straight minutes about what a disaster Jared Kushner was as an advisor. Now, you could agree with it. You could disagree with it. But I just thought that was so ballsy, quite frankly, that he would, um, knowing the audience is a Trump audience, totally destroy Trump's top advisor. And he did the same thing when John Bolton, with John Bolton. he When Trump hired John Bolton, he criticized Trump and criticized Bolton. And uh, I think he does a lot of, like, there's some silly just cable news stuff that he does. I, I don't get into that. I don't like a lot of the silly name calling and things like that. And I, I don't love when he kind of giggles at the camera to after he sort of makes fun at some of somebody. And now I've noticed a lot of Democrats tend not to come on that show. It used to be that there were a lot of Democrats that came on that show. Uh, but uh, the point is, I like the show because it's different, because it's independent, and because I feel like it's a perspective that's not seen anywhere else which is the same reasons I like Smirconish. Now, I got an email the other day that I said I would address, and I'm going to address it because I'm not ducking anything. Tom, who is a listener of mine from a long time, he's been listening to me for probably close to 10 years on various different radio stations, and he was always a fan of mine, or I, I think is, is a fan of mine, but doesn't uh, like my politics. He can't stand that I voted for Trump and things of that nature. But he's he's a fan. He gets that we're doing a radio show here. We're trying to entertain people. So Tom writes this. Since the release in court documents of Tucker Carlson's text and other messages, wherein he admits he lied to Fox News viewers by telling them what they wanted to hear, that the 2020 election was rigged rather than what he actually believed, which was that the 2020 election was not rigged, and wherein he further admits that he purposefully misled his audience for his show's ratings and for Fox's corporate profits, have you changed your opinion of him as one of your two favorite commentators? And I said, excellent question. I'll address this on Tuesday. And now it's Tuesday. Then he responds. It wasn't really a question. It was my way of saying to you, quote, isn't it time for you to issue some kind of mea culpa for putting this blankety-blank on a pedestal, and aren't you ashamed of yourself for having done so? Okay, let me let me say a few things in response to that, and that's why I didn't want to just earmark this for the mail segment. I wanted to give my full opinion on this, because I think you all, I owe you that, and if you want to comment on this, and if you want to answer his question about how if the Fox News commentators essentially lying 
about what they believed about the 2020 election, if that changes your view of any of them, Hannity, Tucker, Laura Ingram, whomever, you're welcome to call in and tell me why or why not. 800-848-9222. So Tom asks, um, should I issue some kind of mea culpa for putting this blankety-blank on a pedestal, and aren't you ashamed of yourself for having done so? Let me answer that. Let me give you first a short answer and then a lengthier one. No. I'm not ashamed of myself uh, for having done so. And no, I don't believe I owe anybody a mea culpa. For starters, I don't think I put Tucker Carlson on a pedestal. I just said it's who I like to watch. Again, I don't watch every night because my my wife doesn't like the show. And, you know, if I'm home by myself, I'll put it on. But, if you know, otherwise we'll watch them that we both want to watch. So I don't think I owe a mea culpa. I never told anybody to watch Tucker. I don't care if anybody watches Tucker. I'm just amazed at the things that he says that I know corporate America can't stand, that I know the Chamber of Commerce can't stand. When he praised Elizabeth Warren's economic nationalism plan, knowing that his audience was overwhelmingly conservative, I thought that was really gutsy. I thought it took a lot of gumption to do that. And I still see that in Tucker. So, no, I don't think I owe a mea culpa, but I never put him on a pedestal. I uh, I just said this is who I like to watch, and this is why. Um, now, in ter- let's look at what Tucker actually did and said. Now, this is a clip from 2021 of Tucker Carlson talking about the 2020 election. I mean, it was never an insurrection. It was a melee, and people got super exercised. I think there were some complicated components. There were uh, clearly a lot of federal informants and or agents in that crowd. Their role is still unknown. We should find out. But in general, these are people who thought the election was stolen. They had some evidence to support that view. It was not a free and fair election. You don't have to believe that the voting machines were rigged to look at 2020 and say that wasn't fair. So, uh, That's pretty mild, honestly, and that's what Alex could find of Tucker himself doing this. Now, I know the criticism of Tucker has been that he'll put on people um, like Mike Lindell, for instance, and I'm sure others who would have have those views. I don't think there's anything wrong with putting people who have those views on. I've done it. You know, we've put on people that believe the 2020 election is stolen, even though I don't I certainly don't believe that there's any evidence to show that that it was. I don't think there's anything wrong with putting those views out there. Um, Now, let's look at what he actually did here. So according to this Dominion suit and all these text messages and these emails came out, the three primetime hosts, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram, as well as others, others in the company, repeatedly insulted and mocked Trump advisors behind the scenes including Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, in text messages with each other in the weeks after the election, according to this legal file, filing. Um, Sidney pa- uh, the, uh, Tucker Carlson wrote to Laura Ingram, November 18th, 2020. Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. Ingram responds, Sidney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. Carlson continued. Our viewers are good people, and they believe it. Now, he makes it clear that he did not believe. But I don't really know of an instance where he said something himself that's a lie. Now, is it any better to put on someone that's a guest that's being, you know, uh, distruthful or being spreading misinformation? Um, I I think there is a difference. 
On a November 12th, in a text chain with uh, Ingram and Hannity, Carlson pointed to a tweet in which a Fox reporter, Jackie Heinrich, fact-checked a tweet from Trump referring to Fox broadcasts and said there was no evidence of voter fraud from Dominion. And Carlson said, please get her fired. It needs to stop immediately, like tonight. It's measurably hurting the company. The stock price is down. Not a joke. So basically, Tucker is saying this woman who was fact-checking Trump's, Trump's tweet should be fired because it's hurting the stock price. That's not a good look for Tucker or anybody else to fire a reporter that he knows is telling the truth because it might hurt the stock price. Uh, that being said, I, I would like to see the full context of the conversation before rushing to judgment. But even though uh, even though that looks bad, I still don't think that changes the reasons that I've come to enjoy Tucker Carlson's program. And I know other folks may disagree. You know, somebody that I really respect, uh, Brian Rosenwald, who's been a guest on this show uh, several times, he was tweeting about Tucker, and he says that uh, something like, um, Tucker is lying all the time now. This is what he said. He said, uh, I don't want to misquote him. He said uh, something along the line, well, I'll find it. I can't find it at the moment. But So uh, maybe there's something I'm missing in Tucker Carlson's commentary, but I don't think he's been blatantly dishonest. I think a lot of what a lot of people do, and I think I've done this to some extent. You know, there's one talk show host. He's not on the radio currently. He said to me about my friend Curtis Lewa. He said, you know, I'll say this about Curtis. He's not really an idiot. He just plays one on radio, right? And he says uh, to me, I I don't think Curtis believes any of this right-wing stuff that the other hosts on your station believe. I think he made some, he makes some allowances for the station that he's on because he knows what the audience is want the audience wants to hear. But and this is someone saying this to me, but I did the same thing. I don't think if you know the audience is is wants something that highlighting the things that they want and downplaying the things that they don't want. I don't know that that's the the worst thing in the world. I don't view Tucker Carlson or any commentator, as an objective news anchor that's giving straight facts. I view him as kind of a news analyst and to some extent an activist and an opinion leader. I mean, it's basically an hour of opinion. And I I still enjoy it. So I don't feel I owe any apology for that. If you disagree, if you want to comment, If you want to say how these revelations in this Dominion suit have affected your view of these commentators, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Somebody asked me the other day, how come I just asked Debbie Schlussel about Hannity and not Tucker? Is it because you don't like Hannity and you do like Tucker? No. It's because as far as I know, Tucker Carlson hasn't been sworn in under oath. And uh, all I said about Hannity is I think it would be nice if he had to take an oath before he did his radio show and he'd be forced to tell the truth for those three hours. All right. Um, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, on that whole situation. I would love to hear from you. All right. Let me begin with uh, John in Las Vegas. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. I mean, come on, man. How can you 
talk about him without mentioning that he's now releasing selected security video footage that he's the only one that got in order to help convicted rioters who tried to overthrow the U.S. government. Well, I mean, I, I'm a veteran. They they committed treason, and he's he's trying to help them. And you 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 didn't mention that at all. Well, because that wasn't the email that I uh, that I got. But I I don't uh, I think that that you have a legitimate beef with Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House. I think the January sixth footage should be available to any media outlet, any person that wants to watch it. I don't think he should have just picked out, oh, I'm just going to give this to one uh, one media outlet and one personality at one media outlet. I don't think that's the right thing to do. But if he wanted to give that just to me, I happily would have would have taken it. Uh, so I don't blame Tucker for that. That's something that I would take issue with Kevin McCarthy for. Well, wouldn't you have shared it with other media yourself if you got a hold of that? Yeah. Wouldn't you feel a responsibility yeah. well, I don't, to do no, that? After well, I he had, didn't do after that. After I had the exclusive, I would air the exclusive <laughs> myself. And look, that's not unusual. It's the same thing that the New York Times did with the Pentagon Papers. It's the same thing well, that. What the, do you think about him using it to defend those treasonous rioters? Well, I haven't. I which haven't. He's seen, doing right now. I haven't seen any of the coverage, but look, I, I don't think uh, any of the rioters are. Um, I don't think any of the rioters are heroes at all, and I think they should all be punished punished harshly. Thank you, John. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Alan is in Queens. Hello, uh, Alan. Uh, good morning, Frank. Um, I just would like to say a couple of quick things. Uh, freedom of speech does not include lying. Yes, it does. Uh, no, it does. Yes, it does. And uh, let me put it to you this way. If, a, if you or I commit a sin, okay, but if a priest commits a sin, it's, it's almost worse. And in the same way, if you or I tell a lie for some reason or other, it's one thing. But for a legitimate, objective journalist to lie, he has no professionalism. And I cannot see how you could defend a person who knowingly lies. It's just... Beneath contempt, you know, I, I can't stand him, you know. I can't stand his facial expressions, uh, the cadence of his speech, but most of all, the lying. He's an embarrassment to journalism. Well, look, I don't really view him as a journalist, and I think maybe that's where we uh, part company. But as far as the— He's a propaganda is for yeah, the Republican I, I, Party. I, well, no, not for the Republican Party, because he's very critical of the Republican Party. I think maybe you could say for right-wing populism, uh, but I, I don't think you could say, especially given his criticism of people like Jared Kushner and John Bolton, uh, that he's a propagandist for the well, Republican that's usually Party. The, uh, he does that in small doses. Well, he usually, I don't know. Uh, I, I see— I see a great deal of it until until McCarthy gave him this footage. He was pretty critical of uh, of McCarthy as uh, as well. But uh, and thank you for the call, Alan. Look, the um, the First Amendment and when Donald Trump wanted to um, make it so that the press couldn't lie, I said the same thing. The Supreme Court says otherwise. The First Amendment absolutely protects deliberate lies. Um, it stops at slander. It stops at libel. But many falsehoods are protected speech. That's not according to me. That's according to the Supreme Court. Listen to what Justice Lewis Powell Jr. wrote for the Supreme Court in 1974. 
There is no constitutional value in false statements of fact. Nonetheless, the court has often refused to allow government to penalize speakers for mistakes, sloppy falsehoods, and lies. Political lies are strongly protected, but even private lies are protected as well. Imagine this scenario. Candidate X says of candidate Y, his father was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald being um, being shot. That was reported and nobody talks about it. Should that ridiculous, petty, cruel, and potentially destructive lie be punished? Now, that's something that Donald Trump said about Ted Cruz's father. The answer under the First Amendment is no. Absolutely not. Um, the First Amendment is there to protect freedom of speech, including dishonest speech. So uh, I d- completely disagree with your premise on uh, on that one. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Otherwise, we'll move on. We have a lot of other stuff to get to as well. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can do so at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. That is Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. John is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Yes, Frank. Thanks for proving my point that you're a sanctimonious hypocrite. My you have no business. You have no business allowing Louis Turi to keep his comments slandering the American Museum of Natural History and Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, falsely accusing Tyson of being a pedophile just because Tyson appeared on TV last month to congratulate a nine-year-old black kid in Pennsylvania for graduating graduating from high school and because the kid wants to emulate his hero, Dr. Tyson, by becoming an astrophysicist. You owe me an apology, too, for, you know, con- condemning me with regard to Turi. Turi has to be removed from the Facebook group and John, also his comments. Honestly, don't you think you should get a life? I mean, how can no, this consume all of your... No, I'm not a life and I reported you John, to the museum. Well, uh, you reported me to the museum? What am I going to do? They, they, and oh, and they're no. taking my, they took my comment criticism oh, no. seriously enough. You're kidding oh, me. Oh, my God. I'm reported to the museum. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. John, don't do it. What's next? Am I going to be reported to the library? <laughs> I mean, nothing against the Museum of Natural History. But I don't care. <laughs> I, I I don't think I've been to the Museum of Natural History in two decades. And look, uh, John is a nice guy. I've met him several times, and he's very nice. And I appreciate the that he listens to the show every day, and that he's clearly so obsessed with it. But for our obsessive listeners, I don't know where we would be. But John is one of the people that I talk about regularly. The obsession that people have. <gasps> Over fighting with one another with the Facebook group. Let it go. Is so silly. You got to get over this. And it's not just John. John is probably the worst offender, but there's many people. If you don't get along with someone and you don't like their comments, just block them. You don't. John's asking me to block uh, whomever. And you don't know how many times people email me asking me to kick John out. I'm not going to do that either. Because I believe... In free speech. 800-848-9222. But, I mean, (laughs) this was before I realized that I was reported to the Museum of Natural History. I crashed and burned. My goodness. (laughs) Before you know it, I'll be reported to the Bronx Zoo. 
my God. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, hi, Frank. I, I would say Tucker puts out information that is otherwise uh, being suppressed or, or they're trying to suppress. I, w- I would say that. Uh, on the election, I, I would say, how about I have no belief that Joe Biden won the Democratic nomination. I think that was totally rigged to start with. So that tells you where I think. And, and I do think that the press right, but whether, is the whole whether thing. You're, whether you're right or, or wrong, I, I think the, the what the listener was bringing up is that these commentators were saying something publicly that they didn't necessarily believe themselves. And did it affect my opinion of them? And my answer was, well, in the case of Tucker, my answer is no. Well, I, I, I'm surprised he doesn't believe that because the the numbers in the election just don't add up. Right. You, well, again, I, I, we can't. We we you know. I mean, again, I, we've been over this so many times. I, I, right. My interest is not necessarily going over and exploring the issue. Is the 2020 election rigged? My interest is if someone believes that it wasn't rigged and they say it does. Does that change um, your opinion of them? And in my my case with Tucker Carlson, I still would enjoy watching the program. That's my only point. Thank you, uh, thank you there, Joe. 800-848-9222. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll continue with your calls. In a moment, uh, we're gonna, while, while we break, I'm going to reach out to the uh, Museum of Natural History and see if there's any way they can look the other way on this uh, on this reporting that's been done of me. Because uh, you, I thought I was going to have a tough time sleeping yesterday because of the heartburn, but now that uh, now that I've been reported to the Museum of Natural History, I'm going to have a tough time sleeping because of that. How dare you! I um, you know. I I would like to book a guest from the Museum of Natural History just for spite. But honestly, they're not doing anything that I'm that interested in to have a guest on. So my spite will only come to a a point, you know. Uh, 800-848-9222. If you want to report me to any other museums, feel free. And uh, I guess I'll have to sneak in. Right? I'll sneak in with a fake disguise. That's what happens if they ban you at a casino or something. You can't go in. I wonder if that's how it is with me at the Museum of Natural History. Now, they have my face as soon as I walk in there. The the alarms start going off. I'm sorry. You can't be here. You can't look at this dinosaur bone. You, You have not pledged allegiance to Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Come to this underground jail that we have beneath the museum. All right. 800-848-9222. It's all in fun. It's all in fun. But again, if you're this obsessed with a Facebook group, not just mine, but any Facebook group, I kind of think you should get a life. Um, We'll continue in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
The Animals. Ah, I love this song. Uh, The Animals. Eric Burden. I've reached out to him before about getting him on the show. I don't know what his deal is. This is another birthday bumper music request from Anthony Antico. A great selection. Uh, House of the Rising Sun. And uh, just great. By the way, uh, I want to thank uh, John from Brooklyn who called in a moment ago. He informed Kenneth that I can still take Carmine to the Museum of Natural History, but I am just barred from hosting any events there. So that's unfortunate. So those of you that were looking forward to seeing me hosting an event at the Museum of Natural History, you're out of luck. (laughs) I should... Let's. We should organize a, a protest in front of the Museum of Natural History, demanding that I be reinstated. Oh, right? It's horrible! It's horrible! It's horrible! But then, if, if I'm reinstated, I don't want to have to go to the trouble of hosting an event there. Um. All right. Yeah. Tom writes. Also, it could be embarrassing if you took Carmine for his first trip to see the giant whale at the Museum of Natural History or the Solar System at the planetarium, and were denied admission. But it, it would be embarrassing, but it would be so funny, it would be worth being embarrassed. Imagine that if Carmine and I are going there and they say, I'm sorry, you're not allowed in. And he and Rachel go in and I have to wait, wait outside. I, I would actually like that, actually. So you have anybody listening, um, and I know people People are very fired. Some people are upset that I like Tucker Carlson. Other people are upset that I don't want to give uh, Ukraine a uh, an endless, bottomless pit of money to fight off the Russians so that this war continues. Other people are really fired up about my pronunciations of the word Tuxedo and Salmon. Whatever your issue is, feel free to write to whatever your cultural favorite cultural institution is and get me banned from there, even if it's a place that I don't visit, you know, even if it's a place that I don't go to or didn't know existed. Feel free to have me banned from there. I would actually like that. Radio's bad boy. Banned from the Natural History Museum. How do you like that? They're never going to catch you, Frank. (laughs) All right. 800-848-9222. I am a fan of of Star Trek in all of its forms. I have not seen the two most recent Star Trek series, Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek, um, you know, uh, Strange New Worlds, nor Lower Decks, which is an animated series that uh, that my, my brothers really like. And they say it's very good. But I haven't seen it. But certainly the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and Picard. Big fan of all those. By the way, I'm enjoying this new season of uh, of Picard. I've watched the first three episodes so far. I'm liking it. I really think it's great. Now, Picard stars Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, excuse me, who's a terrific actor. And he's great in everything. But he's especially great at uh, Jean-Luc Picard, as Jean-Luc Picard. But... One of the um, one of the callers yesterday mentioned the documentary. It's available on Amazon Prime, The Captains. And Patrick Stewart says to William Shatner, who's interviewing him in this documentary, he says, I realized that I would be – I'm going to be known for the rest of my life as Captain Picard. And I am just fine with that. And I remember when I saw that documentary, The Captains, it was on the deck of the USS Intrepid. They did a screening with Shatner 
And all these Star Trek fans got on the deck of the Intrepid on a summer night, and we watched the uh, captains. And it was great. Really well done. And um, and when Patrick Stewart said that, everybody applauded. So Patrick Stewart, if you're not a Star Trek fan, is from Star Trek The Next Generation. One of the many technological innovations from Star Trek The Original Series to Star Trek The Next Generation was the replicator. Now, there were many innovations. In fact, some of these innovations look like they're coming to fruition right now in real life. But in um, the next generation, you had a holodeck, which was really cool. You also had a food replicator. Food replicator, it's one of the neatest things in the world where essentially you can go up to a machine and say, uh, I, wanna, I want uh, tea, Earl Grey, hot, and it'll bring you a hot cup of tea. Pretty much materialized out of thin air. Or you can go up to it and say you want a, a cheeseburger deluxe, and it'll make you a cheeseburger deluxe. Whatever you want, it'll, it'll make it for you. It's pretty cool. I thought that was the neatest thing when I was watching Star Trek The Next Generation. If you're not familiar with the series or you don't know what a replicator does, a food replicator, here's uh, one scene from one of the episodes in the first season. And if I remember correctly, uh, somebody who had been, I think, I, I don't remember the circumstance, but it was like a very 20th century person that that um, was, for some reason, on board the Enterprise. And Data, who's an android, is showing him the food replicator and how it works. I mean, it was never an instrument. Sorry, that's Tucker. Here's the replicator. Talk. I'd like me a a thick Kansas City steak and uh, some country fried potatoes and a mess of greens. Uh, Oh, hell, just forget all that and give me a martini straight up with uh, two olives. For the vitamins. Ooh. Is something wrong? Wrong? Well, only that your computer here fixed about the best martini I ever had. Well, I might just get to like this place. So, um, this person is trying to, you know... Uh, get the hang of this replicator, and it makes him a martini out of nowhere. Well, this is really interesting. Sir Patrick Stewart is joining Kana, I believe that's how it's pronounced, C-A-N-A, as a mission ambassador to help end the global trash crisis. Stewart will raise awareness of Kana's audacious mission to decarbonize the global beverage industry, and clean up Earth by offering an infinitely better experience. Kana's first product, and this is what's I think, just so cool. Kana's first product is a molecular beverage printer that serves thousands of beverages on demand without the plastic, aluminum, or glass packaging of conventional beverages. The closest thing on Earth to the Star Trek replicator. So Kana 1 will start shipping to customers later this year. So at least when it comes to drinks, Kana 1 is a food replicator. It prints thousands of beverages from soft drinks and iced coffee to hard seltzers, wine and cocktails using water that's freely available in your home or office without the need for plastic, aluminum, glass or other containers. They're saying this is the closest thing to the Star Trek replicator. I think this is so 
Interesting. And I want to get one. I have no idea how much this is going to be, but I want one. You could just say to it, uh, give me an ice-cold tab, and one materializes. So by contrast, the beverage and bo- this could be good for the environment as well. The beverage and bottling industry produces two trillion container, excuse me, two trillion containers per year. The vast majority end up trashed in landfills, on beaches, or in our oceans, and in our bodies as toxic microplastics. So, if you can do away with a lot of the trash that's created by creating these drinks. I think that's great. Cana One will cost $899 and will begin shipping to customers in quarter four of 2023. You can reserve one today for a $99 refundable deposit. See, I want one of these, but do I want to spend $900? The answer is probably not. Probably not. Uh, I also, I don't know if I want to be the first one to get one of these. I'd like to, I'm sure there's going to be some kinks to work out. I'd like to be the kind of the 900th person that gets one after everybody works out the kinks. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Good morning. Good morning. Just a question. Uh, Are you consistent in your outing of silent letters? Or is it just as you see them? No, you know, like, it's say, I, I take it on a um, on a on a on an as needed basis. Like because I wonder if you say knife or pneumonia or balagna, you know, or is it just like I do? Know? I do say balagna. I uh, don't say pneumonia, and uh, I'm trying to think. I don't. No, I say knife. I say knife. I keep the K okay. silent there. How about how do you deal with? invisible letters like do you not say them like colonel it's not in there do you say colonel or or do you say colonel no i i say colonel on that one it look it's an yeah. I, it's admittedly an imperfect system uh rick i will say this though in keeping with the silent letters whenever i'm saying my name backwards i don't pronounce yeah. it k uh k i pronounce it as narf because I think that KN should create a silent K sound. So it's um okay. but but you know the difference is there aren't words that begin with KN where where the K is spoken. With salmon, if you say salmonella, the L is spoken. It's not as if you say knifery, the K is all of a sudden spoken. So I'm consistent with the other uses of that word, salmon. Okay. Also, before you hang up, uh, about your uh, stomach, you know, you're you're going on whether it's what you ate or anything, but nerves, Frank, nerves can, I, I, it's called a nervous stomach. You know, you have, you put a lot on your plate. You put a lot of pressure on yourself. You know that I have to get this done. I have, you don't have to do anything that you want to get it done. And that can sometimes build up. You don't even realize you're under pressure, but your stomach does. And I'm just really? letting you know that. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that, thank you, uh, Rick. You know, I, I'm going to go to um, – I'm going to try and get a doctor's appointment in about two weeks. You might, my doctor, It's you can't really make appointments. It's a walk-in center. So you have to be prepared to wait there a while. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and go – let me see here. I'm going to try and go maybe um, April – I think – April, maybe April 1st, April Fool's Day. And uh, I don't have anything, I don't think, scheduled that day. And I can can see what he says about all this stuff. So, uh, John is in Queens. Hello there, John. 
Frank, how are you? Uh, you're going to have to be very careful sharing uh, Carmine's pictures because uh, the next time you go to the Museum of Natural History, uh, the facial <laughs> recognition cameras are going to get you for sure. Because you're a, you know, you're a personality. But Carmine, they might not get, but if you keep putting his picture up, they're going to get him too. He, he, that guy's on the phone with uh, Dolan. You, you're done. <laughs> So you think the Museum of Natural History, just to keep me out, is going to start uh, using the James Dolan facial recognition technology? Absolutely. You're done. <laughs> By the way, I don't think the Museum of Natural History charges admission. Do they? I, or is it a voluntary admission? I have to look this up. But um, I think that um, that – you know what? I don't want to go there. They, since they took Teddy Roosevelt's statue down in front, I don't want to go. Let's see. Uh, no, they do charge admission. $28. $28. That's that. And there's also ticketed exhibitions. I think that'd be hysterical if I go there and they won't let me in. I think that'd be the funniest thing in the world. All right. We'll get into uh, more of your calls in a moment. Six open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Little Richard singing the Frank Moreno theme song over at the Museum of Natural History. There you have it. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You know what was interesting? A caller um, called Hannity the other day on his radio program confronting him about the lying over at... uh, at Fox, I'm not going to play you the whole thing, but here's a little bit of it. It was kind of interesting. Would you agree that sometimes the government and, and regular people have to lie? Like, like the they think they have a good reason. Like the government may have a secret weapon or war plans. They don't. Know. Oh, I mean, I don't think we should reveal our military secrets. Right. Um, I don't think we should reveal intelligence that we gather on, on enemy countries. Right. Um, I think you know every government has to have you know, some secrecy in that regard, of course. Yes, and I myself have lied when I felt there's a, a good reason. No, you don't look fat in that dress. You Fox News hosts, you knew that... By the, by the, by the way, you know, <laughs> you're not allowed to... I didn't think... I thought the, the F word that you used, anyway. I thought that word was banned. I think we have to use the word chubby now. You knew the election wasn't stolen from Trump, and you guys lied about it anyway because you felt you had a good reason. No, if you listen to what I said on the air every day, what did I talk about? Let me remind you. I talked about laws being violated. Partisan observers, for example, most states have laws that partisan observers get to watch the vote count from start to finish. Uh, In 2020, they were 100 feet back. They were 1,000 feet back. They There was no accommodation to uphold the law that allows partisan observers to observe. 
Uh, I made the case about Pennsylvania's Constitution being violated because the Constitution in Pennsylvania, it specifies in great detail the only people that can vote by mail. Now, instead of going through the arduous process of getting a constitutional amendment, state legislators decided they just would pass a law. Well, that's not how you amend the Constitution by passing a law. So they went the unconstitutional route. Now, the you know, a lot of courts didn't want to take up these cases, but I'm just telling you the truth. In the case of Wisconsin, the chief justice of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, that was a 3-4 case that was lost um, on the conservative side, but an excoriating uh, dissent that was was laid out by the chief justice saying that the rest of the justices, the four justices on this court are ignoring the laws of Wisconsin. And if they continue to do so, this will continue to happen. I don't need to know that we need to listen to the whole thing, but it's um, I thought Hannity handled that actually pretty well there. And uh, it really he really didn't address the. What the media is claiming was his lies, essentially, meaning he would say one thing on television and then in private to his colleagues say something else. So he really didn't address that. But, uh, you know, whatever. That's his belief. And I thought he raised some good points there. I thought what Pennsylvania did was absolutely inappropriate. 800-848-9222. Paul is in Manhattan. Hello, Paul. Yeah. Hi, hi Frank. I, I just wanted to relay some um, uh, recommendations related to the heartburn. I know you got another call about that, but you said things that helped me, and when you spoke about it, it was very familiar to me. Um, Maybe uh, uh, your your wife, you already have these things at home, but I found that um, something called 5-HTTP, I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, never heard uh, of it. Yeah, it's uh, like a natural relaxant. Um, uh, I think it comes from some kind of um, seeds or something. It's sold in every health food store, and it was very, very helpful. It's not uh, overly strong. It's not a pharmaceutical, and it was very helpful. Another thing, omega-3 helped me a lot. Uh, You know, omega-3 gel capsules. Some people try to get omega-3 in their food, but I found... Um, that the uh, supplements were very helpful. It very likely might be recommended by whatever physician that you see. Um, It was recommended by uh, mine, and it was very helpful. Another thing, uh, another supplement is called lecithin, uh, which is in certain foods, but in capsule form it can help a lot, um, especially if now and then you have sort of a high bad cholesterol count. Um, and then two more things that are not like um, supplements that were really helpful to me related to heartburn. I think maybe uh, you have it at home, a stationary bike, that kind of thing, really works well. And then keeping track of blood pressure by having a um, digital, uh, you know, sphygmometer. All right. Um, digital blood pressure. All right. All, all good, Paul. Thank you. I'm going to look into yeah. this. Uh, 5-HTP, thank you. 800-848-9222. Tony is in New Jersey. Hello, Tony. Hey, Frank. How are you tonight? I'm great, great show, thank by you. the way. Thanks. Great show. Appreciate it. Um, I'm always glad to hear you uh, during during the midnight hours. Um, but as a history fan, I, 
I was amazed when they took down the statue. I love Teddy Roosevelt, by the way. And so I think in rebuttal, you should dress up as Teddy Roosevelt and go, you know, go charging past the museum one day. <laughs> oh, I like that idea, actually. Um, but now I like that. I, I've, so go there dressed as in a Theodore Roosevelt costume. I don't know if you could do the horse, though. Yeah, I'm, my, my horseback riding skills are not the best. Um, I mean, I, I rode once okay, but he was just walking pretty slowly. Uh, I like that suggestion a lot. Uh, I will. I will do that. I will go there All as right. Theodore Roosevelt, and if they throw me out, it, it'll be a big <laughs> spectacle because I'll be wearing spectacles. That's I like right. it, Tony. Thank you very much. That's good. That's good. See, that's creative. Now, I have to get uh, someone... To I have to get someone to dress as an American Indian and someone, right? I mean, that's the, right, that's the other person that's in the statue, right? It's an American Indian? I, I, I don't remember. Uh, but um, I thought that was crazy when they took that down. <laughs> All right, 800-848-9222. Yeah, maybe it was an American Indian and a black man, yeah. One American Indian and one Sub-Saharan African. So um, probably not going to have somebody dressed as an American Indian or a Sub-Saharan male. I'll, I'll go as Teddy Roosevelt. That'll be fine. All right. 800-848-9222. You know what? Speaking of, um, you know, of, of time with Carmine, which I, I was glad to go to the Golden Mike Awards <laughs> yesterday. But that was the only, only bummer is that I really didn't get to spend much time with my son yesterday, which I really enjoyed doing. He loves to jump around, right? He loves when I throw him up in the air. He loves to jump on things. I think like a lot of 15-month-old kids. And I'm imagining that'll be the case when he's two, three, four, five, six. So my friend posts on Facebook the other day that he is giving away a trampoline for free. His kids are too old for it, and they don't ride, they don't use it anymore, but it works, and he's giving it away for free. All you have to do is come get it, and I have friends with trucks that I think would lend me this trampoline, and take it apart, which, you know, I have friends that are very knowledgeable in the way of taking things apart. And... I would normally jump at this trampoline opportunity because we do have space for it in our backyard. And I think Carmine, when he's a little older, will really, maybe even now, but especially when he's older, will really like jumping on a trampoline. I like jumping on a trampoline. And I would normally get it, but I was listening to another radio show the other day, my friend Arthur, and he mentioned, he was talking to a doctor, I think an orthopedic doctor, that said trampolines are one of the biggest causes of injuries among children. And one of my neighbors, I think, said something similar, is that you don't want to get a trampoline because uh, not only is does it create all sorts of liability issues, if uh, other children come over, they play on it and they get hurt on it, but uh, it's, it's, it's dangerous. So I'm curious what kind of experience – People have had with a trampoline. 800-848-9222. I love the idea of getting one. Um, And the fact that my friend is giving away a perfectly good trampoline for free, I'm very tempted to get one. So 
we'll see where that goes. I don't know. Um, did you have a trampoline uh, growing up, Matt? Please. No, the only time I went on a trampoline was, you know, my sister was big into gymnastics, and then my mother enrolled me in gymnastics. Oh, did she? Yeah, so I did go on a trampoline in gymnastics, and then my sister later on owned a gym for gymnastics. So they had the trampolines that are flat on the ground, and I was on those, but never, like, in a backyard trampoline i wouldn't think it'd be a good idea why because because of that the the liability and i've seen (sighs) these videos of people getting hurt and the trampoline breaking or them falling through a spring so have i that happened to one of my friends he fell through and hit his head on the concrete he fell through okay well all right that ends that all right i'm not gonna get a trampoline (laughs) over if that's the case that's it sorry carmine you uh, I, i spend my whole life thinking about how different my life would be had I grown up with a ping pong table. From now on, son, you can spend your whole life wondering how different your life would be if only your dad had taken this trampoline. But that's it. That's it. All right. We'll get into a bunch of other stuff uh, next hour, including the exciting world of apples. Not joking. And a bunch of other things. If you want to comment on anything that we're talking about, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, your influence counts. Be sure to use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for listening to me. Uh, I am an Apple fan. And um, my Apple of choice has been for the last, I don't know, five, six years, maybe less, maybe longer. My go-to Apple of choice, no, longer, at least the last 10 years, has been the Honeycrisp Apple. Now, I don't remember ever having a Honeycrisp apple growing up. And I tried a Honeycrisp apple for the first time maybe about 11 or 12 years ago. My mom had purchased them. And I like apples, always have. I like every variety of apple. And my mom had purchased them, and I was over at her house, and I had one of these apples. I said, what is this? Because it was unlike any apple that I remember tasting. She says, oh, those are Honeycrisp apples. They're new. The supermarket that we go to just started carrying. So I was hooked. And because I was so fond of them, my mom got them for me all the time. And then when my wife does the shopping in our house, she gets them for me all the time. But last, I don't know, few months, maybe last year, I've been noticing these Honeycrisp apples 
they don't wow me like they used to. Maybe it's just maybe my tastes have changed. Maybe I've gotten too used to the Honeycrisp apples. I don't know. I don't know. But got me. Uh, so yesterday I said, you know, honey, because she's always complaining about the cost of the Honeycrisp apples because they cost more than, than say, a Gala apple or a, or a Fuji apple. And I said, it's okay. Well, I'll, I'll pay for the difference in cost. It's fine. But I said, you know, honey, I'm getting tired of these Honeycrisp apples. I, I'm in the mood for a Golden Delicious. So yesterday we got all these Golden Delicious apples, and I'm looking forward to having one a little bit later. But it got me thinking. My whole life, I think the Honeycrisp apple had been around since 1991. And I hadn't even tried it until 13 years ago. What other apples are out there that I'm not aware of? And so, I obviously, you know Red Delicious. Everybody knows Granny Smith. But are there apples out there that I haven't tried? And what apples do other people have as their favorite? Because when I tried a Honeycrisp apple for the first time, it was like I'd been asleep. And all of a sudden, woke up. And I'm wondering if there are other apples out there that give you a similar bang for your buck. Do you have an apple preference, Matt? You look like you're itching to say something. No, I I, I like Granny Smith, but I usually just eat Red Delicious because they're just better for you, I think. Are they better for you? Yeah, like when I would diet, they would always say the Red Delicious apple, specifically. Oh, I didn't know that. Are you yeah. sure about that? Yeah. I think apples in general, if you're getting Granny Smith or um, Red Delicious or whatever, I think whatever apple you get, unless you're you're putting jelly or honey on it, I, I think it's it's pretty uh, a pretty healthy food. For years they claimed, and I think they backed away from this. For years they claimed that uh, apples actually have negative calories. When they, there's there's these foods supposedly like celery that it takes your body more energy to digest them and to chew them, then you actually get nutritional value. turns out that's not exactly true. But I think apples are pretty healthy no matter what. If if you're dieting and you're worried about the apple putting you over the top, I think you're, I think you're in a pretty good position. I wouldn't worry about a – you want to have a Granny Smith. That's my advice. So it got me thinking, what is your favorite apple? A question. Since before your son burned hot in space – and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. 800-848-9222. I'm hesitant to do this segment because the last time I did one of these, I did what is your favorite pen? And that segment cost me so much money because people were so passionate about these pens and people wrote to me. Uh, all about these pens, and it encouraged me to do my own research. I ended up spending probably three or four hundred dollars just in pens, buying all these different types of pens. And I don't use a pen that that often. I mean, I use it often, but I have a lifetime supply of pens at our house based on all the different ones that I purchased when we did the "What is your favorite pen?" segment. So, question is, what is your favorite apple? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. A bunch of people responding on the trampoline front. Uh, my mom saying no trampoline. Dr. Peter Mikolos listening, who I'm a big fan of. 
No trampoline. Begged ex-wife not to buy one. She did, and young son had bad arm fracture day one. Very dangerous and opens lawsuits from other injured kids. All right, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Someone else uh, texted me here. Jake broke his leg at a trampoline park literally one year ago today on Purim slash St. Pat's Day. Been there six times, but this one time I looked away. A mom weighing five times his weight double bounced him and four other 40-pound five-year-olds getting 10 inches of air, and instead they all got four inches of air. And he came down, resulting in a broken tibia. The mom went in a kids-only area. He's fine now, but broken leg was, I think, worse than his broken leg. All right, well, um, I am not ready to—I'm not going to get a trampoline. Uh, not going to do it. Someone else saying, Pink Lady, the best apple by far. What's yours? 800-848-9222. So as I do, believe it or not, with these segments, I went and did some research, and I came across what I thought was a very helpful— YouTube video. And by the way, when you call and tell me your favorite Apple, tell me why. Like, what is it about the particular Apple that you like, that you enjoy? Is it the sweetness? Is it the juiciness? Is it the crunchiness? Is it uh, the way it bakes? Because my wife was telling me, when she went to the grocery store, they have an Apple chart of different things that you can use different apples for. Some are better for baking, some are better for eating, and, and it lets you monitor the level of sweetness. I think Honeycrisp is supposedly the sweetest. But whatever your Apple preference is, tell me why. 800-848-9222. Heather McPherson did a YouTube video for the uh, Orlando Sentinel. And she discussed several of these different Apple varieties, including Honeycrisp. Honeycrisp was developed by the University of Minnesota. It's bright red and pale green outer skin and a cream-colored crisp yet juicy inner flesh. And that's a pretty apt description. Now, how about Matt Blaze's favorite, the Granny Smith? Oh, that's the one you like, Granny Smith? Granny Smith? Yeah, I like Granny Smith, but I'll always eat a Red Delicious. Gotcha. Right. Because that's the Granny Smith is going to be unhealthy for you. (laughs) Here's what Heather, Heather McPherson said on the Granny Smith. Granny Smith, tart, wonderful, the most instantly recognized green apple there is in the bin. Um, I see, I didn't even really realize that they were called Granny Smith. I just thought they were green apples. And then I got nervous because I left early for this Golden Mike Award event last night. And my wife was, um, was, you know, keeping me apprised of things that were going on in our household. And she said, yeah, I got your green apples here. And I thought she had gotten the, what I now am reminded is the Granny Smith apples. And I said, no, I should get Golden Delicious. And she said, well, they look green. They do look a little green. Here's what Heather McPherson said as her description of a Golden Delicious. Golden Delicious. Now, some people think that Golden Delicious is simply the yellow cousin of the popular Red Delicious apple. But, in fact, they're related in name only. Mm. Its mild, sweet flavor makes it excellent for baking. And guess what? You can cut down on the sugar in pies and sauces if you use Golden Delicious apples. You see that? You want to make your own applesauce? You want to make your own pie? You want to cut down the sugar? Use a Golden Delicious. Looking forward to trying one of those later. This is one apple that I don't know that I have tried. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure I have. I mean, I don't know what all the apples are. A lot of them look very similar. Uh, they say, by the way, the most popular apple in America is the Gala. The Gala apple is the most popular. 
But this is one that I don't know that I've tried. It's the ambrosia. This is Heather McPherson's description of the ambrosia apple. Ambrosia is a sweet apple. It was first introduced at an apple festival in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's considered an all-purpose, and its versatility makes it great for eating out of hand. Versatility. So it all depends on what you're looking for. All right. Uh, While the U.S. and New Zealand have been the birthplace of most of the apples on this list, (coughs) the next variety was actually discovered, the ambrosia, in British Columbia, as she said. And it was a chance seedling that appeared amongst trees producing Jana Gold apples. And after pickers in the orchard ate all of the delicious apples, the family decided to try producing this unique new variety. Indeed, the new owners of the original Canadian orchard, where the apple was found, named it Ambrosia, which of course means food of the gods for its sweet taste. All right. 800-848-9222. Uh, Dylan has a comment, not about apples, but trampolines. Hello, Dylan. Hi. Uh, first-time caller. I listen to you on the way home from work most of the time. But uh, about the trampoline, I was going to say, if you were going to get one, make sure it was one with a net around it and the padding. I know when I was growing up, my cousin had one, and I remember they had gotten hurt on it at one time. But, if it, I mean, you take away some of that risk with one with a net around it. I see. Uh, yeah. Do you have one? No, not not currently. I mean, I don't really have a backyard to fit any of that. We got the backyard's pretty much just all pool, which is already right, one thing, right, you right. know. That you got to put a net around, you know. But as for the apples, it's definitely going to be Honeycrisp. You're with favorite. me on Honeycrisp, all right, Dylan, uh, Absolutely. I, I don't know why, but for some reason, I. I don't get the same buzz out of Honeycrisp lately that I used to. Do you still get just as much of a, a buzz out of Honeycrisp? You know, lately, the past year and a half, maybe two, I, I kind of started to lose it. they almost like mealy, if that's the right way to put it. You know, I've had a couple mealy ones. So have I. Uh, so have I. I'm trying to figure out if the apple has changed or or if we've changed. And thank you, Dylan. I appreciate that. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Uh my namesake Frank is in Westchester. Hello, Frank. Good morning. How are you? I'm hanging in there, thanks. That's good. My favorite, like you, is the honey crisp. But I'm torn between a honey crisp and golden delicious. Oh, so so but Okay. In my flyer, I do my shopping at Stop and Shop. They're selling this week cosmic crisp apples. And it's described as extra juicy and crisp. Cosmic crisp. I've never tried one of those. Did you try it? I've never tried. No, this is something I'm going to try this weekend when I go shopping. Uh, well, you got to call us back on Monday and let us know how it turns out. You got it. All right. Thank you. All right. That sounds pretty good. 800-848-9222. Evelyn is in Bayonne. Hello, Evelyn. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, they're not available all year, only around um, late September and October and November. Probably October is the best time. They're, so they sell them in shop, Stop and Shop. I don't know how you pronounce it, but they're spelled M-A-C-O-U-N. M-A-C-O-U-N. O-U-N. They, it's referred to as um, a dessert apple. They're softer than a red delicious 
I've been into a Red Delicious, and I've lost the bottom of my two front oh, teeth, which have been bonded know, since then. I, so these I, offices. I, I'm glad that you up. mentioned that because when Matt Blaze was talking about the Red Delicious, I was thinking, you know, why don't I like the Red Delicious? Because they are juicy, and if you know, one is I feel like they look too polished; they look almost fake. And the other is what you just mentioned; they are a little too hard; they're a little too crisp. Well, these apples, Frank, they're all, aside from being softer, they, the flesh is almost pure white. And the reason they were very expensive, even before inflation rose so much, is because they're only available a certain part of the year because they're very, very difficult to grow. So It uh, takes them a long time to grow. M-A-C-O-U-N, uh, basically right. macoon, we'll call it, right? But they do sell them and don't buy them in shop right. They're not as good as the ones they have in stop and shop. Huh. All right. I will uh, Thanks, I will Frank. put that on the list. You never steer us wrong, Evelyn. Thank you. And no on the trampoline. Not yet. Evelyn. Yeah, that's what everybody's saying. Okay, that's, I'm convinced. I don't need any further convincing. Uh, yeah, so the McCoon apples, very interesting. They're a cross between Macintosh and Jersey Black apples bred by Cornell University in New York State. And they, as Evelyn said, they have this rich, dark red peel and crisp white flesh. The flavor of macoon apples is both sweet and tart, while the texture is delicate and fine. These apples are best enjoyed fresh so their texture can be experienced. I'm going to try one. I'm going to try one. Norman is in Brooklyn. Hello, Norman. Hi, Frank. Yeah, two things. Um, my favorite apple, I guess, would be the Fuji because it's uh, tart and kind of crisp. But I much prefer my apples baked inside of apple strudels, okay? But on their own, I guess the Fuji is pretty good. Um, second thing, stay away from trampolines. It's the only thing that violates my liability insurance as a personal trainer because people get wrecked on them. Ah. It's like it's it's legend about people getting wrecked on trampolines. Stay away from trampolines. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Uh, 800-848-9222. It's interesting. Norman's apple dessert of choice is is apple strudel. I like apple strudel. I, li- I like apple pie. And my wife makes apple crisp, which is very similar to apple pie, uh, which is very good. A little, little vanilla ice cream on there. But, uh, you know, that's his favorite. Apple strudel. Okay. Okay. Hank is in New Jersey. Hello, Hank. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure thing, Hank. How you been? Very good. Everything has been going forward. Good. Thank you. Uh, as an ex-insurance agent, uh, your homeowner policy may get canceled or rated higher because of a uh, trampoline. Right. I had heard that. Okay. And uh, Macintosh, that was my favorite. Is, and I think every seven years, your taste buds change also. Oh. So it could not be the apple. It just could be Mother Nature taking its course with you. Now, well, so that's what I'm wondering. That's possible. There's all sorts of foods that we try. And, you know, when you're a child, maybe you don't like anchovies. And you try it as an adult, and maybe you like anchovies. So that certainly uh, that certainly can happen. I'm wondering if, if it is me. Or it could be just because I've gotten so used to the Honeycrisp apples that they're not special anymore. In your view, Hank, what is it about the Macintosh apples that's so special? It's crisp. It's got a sharp taste, a nice taste. And generally, it's uh, usually around October, November when they come around. 
So it brings me back to the season. And could you could you remember having an anchovy pizza at least tavern in Staten Island? Yeah, I, I mean, still anchovies are not my favorite. I, I I was just giving that as one example. My favorite pizza pie at Lee's is the uh, is the clam pie. I love the clam pie there. That's that's. That's my my and, and jam. The calabari didn't oh. hurt either. Yeah, that's for sure. Hank, hopefully we'll uh, we'll do a Lee's day sometime soon. Okay. I hope so. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Uh, Rich is on Staten Island. Hello, Rich. Uh, Frank, I'm sorry. I'm going to sound like Jiminy Cricket about the uh, the uh, trampoline, but just uh, from personal, my my sons used to dive, and their diving coach said, "Get him a trampoline," and it was just like one nightmare after another. And everyone's right about the insurance. But the other thing, a good windstorm, no matter how you tie that down, it could uh, come up in the air and look for victims very quickly. So I know you have sound judgment, so you'll make, you know, you'll make the right decision. Well, yeah, I, I am convinced. I, uh, I don't need any further convincing. Uh, that's it. I think my trampoline moment is, is over. Um, that's, that, it is what it is. All right? You know, put it out there, just an idea. That's why I bring these ideas up. They are what they are. The trampoline train has been derailed. Hey, speaking of train derailments, Pete Buttigieg was in East Palestine the other day, last week after uh, President Trump went, and uh, he made one comment that I've had on my list to play for a week, and I'm wondering if this is an indication. I don't think this is a big deal, but I'm wondering if this is an indication of a poor choice of words. Listen to this and tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. Listen to this. Both information and misinformation injected into this situation, none of which is to the benefit of the community uh, when it comes to that misinformation. So I think, so I lost my train of thought. Um, So they were giving him a hard time because he said, I lost my train of thought when he's there talking about a train derailment. I, I don't think it's a big deal. Honestly, I mean, I think uh, if you're there, I mean, you're there, you're dealing with a crisis. We shouldn't change the way that we normally speak. And that's what he would normally say. And what would he say? I lost my bus of thought. That makes it more noticeable. But uh, I don't know. You think that was a poor choice of words, either consciously or subconsciously? Let me know. 800-848-9222. Getting a lot of emails here related to apples. Getting a lot of emails here related to trampolines. If you want to email me, you can do so. Frank.Moreno at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCRadio.com. If you're just tuning in, it appears that I have indeed been reported to the Museum of Natural History. And that I can still go there with Carmine, but I cannot. I cannot host any events there. I, I, I've not been asked to host any events there ever. I mean, I've never. I don't think I've ever attended an event there. But now, I guess I don't know. And I'm not clear if this is a lifetime ban, or if this is a a seasonal ban, or if it's tied to certain actions that the Facebook group takes. I don't know. I don't know. By the way, I have noticed a bunch of people who have been pre-approved for comments in the Facebook group, and that means basically that they don't need an administrator to click approve if they want to make a comment. Several of them wrote to me and said, hey, what happened? Did I do something wrong because I uh, was always pre-approved? Now I have to wait for administrator approval. 
And the we haven't changed anything. We haven't, you know, unapproved anybody or anything like that. I think it's more of a Facebook thing because all the people that wrote to me, I think it was three or four of them, they all said that their posts were approved anyway without us taking any action. So I think it must be just a difference in how Facebook is making that that situation appear. If you want to join the Facebook group, by the way, you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. And uh, you can also like our Facebook page. That's where I post a lot of the articles that we talk about in terms of, uh, you know, the op-ed that Colonel Daniel Davis wrote and a bunch of other things. Just go to facebook.com slash Morano fan for that. All right. We're going to see if we can't give away $1,000 in a moment. If you would like an opportunity to try and win $1,000, you can be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And if you are indeed the seventh caller, you'll get to play the $1,000 minute and try to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. So go ahead and call right now and the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. We'll get an opportunity to try and win some money straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, little apple blossom, what seems to be the problem? All the ones you tell your troubles to, they don't really care for you. Come and tell me what you're thinking. This is excellent. This is Apple Blossoms by the White Stripes. This is a Matt Blay selection. Well done, Matt Blay. Well done. This is, uh, this is quite good. I just have to share this uh, one email. A fella emails me after we had Colonel Daniel Davis on and says... Hi, Frank. Enjoyed your discussion with Colonel Daniel Davis. Was everything you said it would be. And here's a recent one with Tucker Carlson's frequent guest, who also paints a very different picture than that of the recent retired, than of the usual retired generals. And it's an article all about Douglas McGregor. Now, we've had Douglas McGregor on the show many times, many times. Tom, thank you. And you know what we do? If there is ever a guest that you like, what you can do is we've been working hard. And it's not fully implemented yet. But if there's a guest that you like, either on a certain topic, if you find that guest on the Red Apple Podcast Network, you can either search the Red Apple Podcast Network for that guest's name, and it'll bring you all the guests that we've done with that person. Or if it's a topic, say Russia or UFOs or uh, China, whatever the case may be, you can click it. And it'll bring you all the previous segments that we've done. Because, look, I I mean, our diversity on this show, I think, is also one of our strengths in that we cover more subjects than anybody. But if you're interested in hearing about aliens, maybe you're not interested in hearing about professional wrestling. If you're interested in hearing about apples, maybe you're not interested in hearing about pens. So here's a way for us to uh, have all these segments so that you can just click pen or apple and it'll bring you all the interviews that we've done on those specific subjects. So look out for those tags 
at the bottom of the page, redapplepodcastnetwork.com. All right, without further ado, let's play. The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, All right, this is going to be big. I see we have on the line Steve in Manhattan. Is this the Steve from Manhattan? No, it is not. Oh, okay. All right. Well, just an alternative Steve from Manhattan. Well, good. Hopefully uh, more of the audience will be rooting for you since you're not the other Steve from Manhattan. Uh, Steve, are you familiar with this game? Yes, I am. Okay, so we'll get started if you're ready. What is a word that begins with the letter S? Shoot. What branch of the U.S. military deals primarily with the sea? The Navy. What maneuver is a form of first aid used to save a person from choking? The Heimlich. What state was Kamala Harris a senator from prior to her election as vice president? California. What actor played James Bond and starred in the films The Rock and Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade? Sean Connery. What baseball player holds the record for most home runs? In a season or in a uh, a lifetime? Both. Barry Bonds. What, What is the hottest planet in the solar system? Mercury. Ah, unfortunately... It is Venus. Um, Venus is actually hotter than Mercury uh, because of its proximity to the sun and its dense atmosphere. So it's, um, yeah, Venus gets up to um, Venus. It is indeed Venus. Sorry about that, uh, uh, Steve, but you did very well. You got up to question number seven. I'm going to put you on hold and give Kenneth your information. We'll send you a consolation prize, okay? Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Yes, it is indeed Venus, the hottest planet in the sun. It's got this thick, toxic atmosphere filled with carbon dioxide, and it's perpetually shrouded in thick, yellowish clouds of sulfuric acid that trap heat, causing a runaway greenhouse effect. It is the hottest planet in our system, solar system, even though Mercury is closer to the sun. See? It's so greenhouse gas emissions because too many people are uh, driving SUVs on Venus. That's, that's why. All right, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anything we have covered thus far, uh, it's 800-848-9222. You know, I was talking about our backyard, how we definitely have room for a trampoline. Well, um, by the way, today we have our solar panel guy coming to give us a full, full, final, uh, you know, uh, analysis of where the solar panels would go because we only want them on the back. We don't want them in the front. How much energy it's likely to produce and all that sort of a thing. But I was telling you about the situation where the people who bought the house behind us, the de- it was bought by a developer. They're knock- they're knocking down the trees and doing all this construction. And it it does keep me from sleeping during the day. But they also, they knock down all these trees, which is going to help us when it comes to solar panels. But it's not great when it comes to shade and privacy. 
So we're actually going to have our uh, our lawyer reach out to them to see because technically those trees were on our property. So we're going to have our tree our lawyer reach out to them to see if maybe they will pay for us to get new trees and or to move the fence back two feet because we have another two feet in our backyard that we had not moved the fence to because we wanted to preserve the the tree line. So we'll see where that goes. I know a few of you had written to me about that, looking for an update on that. A bunch of people also had asked for an update on uh, my brother Nicholas's perpetual hip- hiccups. I wrote to him yesterday, and I have not heard back what the status of his hiccups are. Um, my brother was describing a situation where he had these hiccups that wouldn't go away. I haven't seen him hiccuping in a while, and he hasn't mentioned it in a while, so I'm assuming it just went away. But I'm not sure. I'm gonna. Uh, I'll reach out to him again after the after the show. Want to wish a happy birthday today to actor Brian Cranston. I am a big fan of Brian Cranston as an actor, and uh, he's an interesting guy. Great storyteller. I don't necessarily agree with a lot of his views when it comes to critical race theory and things like that. But who cares? He and when it comes to Breaking Bad, he's phenomenal. Malcolm in the Middle. Phenomenal. Uh, Seinfeld, his role as uh, Tim Watley, phenomenal. Even that episode or two of Babylon 5 that he was in, he's great in that. I think he is legitimately one of the greatest actors ever. I saw him on Broadway in um, where he played Lyndon Johnson in a show called All the Way. And then he actually played, I think he played Lyndon Johnson in a in a made-for-TV movie of that, uh, HBO, I think. And he's just great as Lyndon Johnson. He's a real history buff uh, and a great actor. He's 67 years old today. And Disney executive Michael Eisner is 81 years old today. Very interesting. Um, he I don't know what he's doing now. For a while he was trying to do his own interview show, but uh, I don't think that really panned out. Well, I guess he guy, the guy probably has so much money. What you know, He could just sit around and do whatever he wants if he wants. 800-848-9222. Howard is in Elmhurst. Hello, Howard. Hi, Frank. How are you? Uh, um, good. My wife and I are frustrated trampoline jumpers. You know, we never had a trampoline because we never had access to one. And I was walking, and I, I called her off my phone I, along the Cro- old Croton Aqueduct path. I, I know this one house where they have a, a trampoline. So we never got a chance, and they couldn't get into his backyard because they had a big fence over in the back, and he might come out with a shotgun. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, one day we're passing, we're in Manhattan, and we pass on a, a mattress, and we're jumping up and down. And then a friend of mine told me that uh, we could have gotten uh, bed bugs from that mattress and bring it into our apartment. Well, I think that's probably a very sage advice. So I feel bad for you. You never had a trampoline. Yes, and then one more thing about apples, which I wanted to say, I cook. Gala apples, and I put, I put uh, pressed juices in, um, and then I red jacket pressed juice in. I put uh, stevia, and I put orange juice in, and I put uh, Saint Alphour, um jam inside it, and it comes out delicious. It sounds pretty good. I haven't you tried it in that specific method, but it sounds delicious. You bake it in the microwave for about 20 minutes. It's actually absolutely wonderful. 
Yeah, it uh, sounds quite good. Thank you very much, Howard. Appreciate it. Want to wish a happy birthday as well to my friend Carol Danko, who's celebrating her birthday uh, today. And uh, also to uh, Bill McCuddy, formerly of uh, of Fox News, and uh, to um, a bunch of other folks. They have birthday bumper music selections coming up. And I already gave a shout-out to... Richie Lombardi uh, for his birthday today. He's uh, 68. And my old friend Chris Millar is uh, 40 years old today. So if you're celebrating a birthday today, you are also celebrating not only with Brian Cranston and Michael Eisner, but uh, the lead singer of the Jay Giles band, Peter Wolf. Peter Wolf. Imagine that. If your name is uh, Peter Wolf, what's that? So uh, so that's that. You know, I, I mentioned last week. That next, uh, that this Thursday, I agreed to speak at this fundraiser in um, in Bay Ridge, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. And I have to tell you, I'm already seeing the time of this fundraiser, and it's I think at six o'clock, which is five hours earlier than I would have to be at the radio station. And I'm already regretting agreeing to this. I mean. Maybe this is – I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be a good event, and I'm happy to go anywhere where I'm invited to speak. I'm flattered that anybody wants to hear me speak about anything. And certainly it's a great neighborhood, and I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of people. But it's just one more thing to go to. It's just It all becomes a bit much. And uh, Carmine doesn't usually go to bed till 7.30, and I usually like to put him to bed and Thursday, I'm not going to be able to do that because of this, um, because I agreed to speak at this fundraiser. But I, I think you know, there's just something about me. I'm perpetually conflicted. I want to take advantage of all these opportunities, but I get frustrated when 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 I, when I get the opportunity to do them. I, I don't know. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we have talked about thus far. That's 800-848-9222. Tomorrow... We are going to be, speaking of Venus and Mercury, we're going to be joined in our first hour by Dr. Sky. And I have a request out to Mark Levin, the great one, a.k.a. Uh, F. Lee Levin. Uh, there's a lot of legal issues in the news that he has been very outspoken about. And uh, he may join us tomorrow as well. We'll see. And uh, I have a lot of other tricks up my sleeve for tomorrow's program that I think you're going to enjoy. Meantime, Brian is in Virginia. Hello, Brian. Hey, Frank. I wanted to talk about one more kind of apple, but I'm not sure if it's widely available. I give it at Wegmans. You ever heard of pizzazz apples? Pizzazz. No, I can't say that I have. Tell me about it. P-A-Z-Z-A-Z-Z. And I tell you, I couldn't. I, I could. I would fail blind taste test. I think they taste like Honeycrisp, except they, they cost the same as all the other varieties. You know, Red Delicious and Gala and all that. Oh, so what you're saying is pizzazz? It tastes like Honeycrisp, but it's cheaper. Yes, yes. It's it's in that same price point as all the other apples. It's not that you know, really double cost that Honeycrisp bar. I'm reading about this. Um, this is from pizzazzapple.com. It says that pizzazz is an apple variety like no other. It's the descendant of the beloved Honeycrisp, but it has a unique look and a taste all its own. So I am going to have to try this. Yeah, I recommend it. I, they're my favorite. I eat about two, three apples a day, and that's my go-to. That's a lot of apples. 
Well, yeah, I, that's I, I'm a healthy man, and I like to stay that way. Well, what about Matt Blaze's contention that uh, that you should only eat golden delicious if you're concerned about health? Red delicious. Red delicious. Excuse me. Well, I, I, I heard him say that, and, and I'm not going to dispute it, but I've, I've definitely never heard that. Yeah, where did you hear that, Matt? I'll dispute it. I actually looked it up, and it just said that Red Delicious is the healthiest apple because it has the most antioxidants. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. So you're not as healthy as you think you are, Brian. You're not getting all the antioxidants well, I, that Matt plays is. When, when the pizzazz are not available, Red Delicious is by 1A. You know, I'm looking – I got to try these pizzazz uh, apples. You know, I'm looking at all the recipes on pizzazzapple.com. They're adding them to coleslaw, a pizzazz apple, brown rice, cranberry, and almond salad. These look great. A pizzazz squash, uh, a pizzazz apple nachos, pizzazz apple sangria, easy pizzazz turnover. This is uh, this is really something. Thank you for this, Brian. You've you've enlightened me. But uh, is there any? I know. Um, I know Purim is today, m- Monday night into Tuesday morning. And or I guess you know yesterday technically, is there any apple connection to to Purim at all? I, I know there are sweets involved. You're Jewish, right, Matt? You don't celebrate Purim? No, I'm I'm not a practicing. And you, I have, you're secular. I have no idea about apples and Purim. Or, okay, all right. I don't remember. There you go. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll tell you what I am excited to see, and I don't know when I'm going to have a chance to see this. Maybe um, I don't know when, but. Maybe if I find myself awake in the middle of the night and uh, Curtis refuses to take my call. I am looking forward to seeing this History of the World Part 2 on Hulu. I am a huge Mel Brooks fan. And I do. And he's 96 now. And I'd really like to get him on this show before he passes away. I'd say now that we had William Shatner on a few times, the list of people that are living that I am really dying to have on is ver- a very short one. And Mel Brooks is right at the top of it. So I'm hoping we can get him on soon, maybe to talk about this, maybe to talk about his book. We'll see. I'm going to reach out to his folks again. Uh, Mary is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Mary. Hi, uh, Frank. How are you? I'm great. I just want to let you know that lately what you're doing with your show, I love. You're keeping it simple. There's a lot of unhappy topics up there. Thank you. And you know how to keep us afloat, and Thank I you. love that. I appreciate um, it. Yes. I wanted to make two comments, if I may. Um, first of all, um, have you ever heard of something that looks like an apple? I thought it was an apple when I bought it, and I fell madly in love with it. And it's called Asian pears. Well, is it, I know they will sometimes call a pomegranate a Chinese a Chinese apple, but no, I've never heard of a Asian pear. Well, these things are so juicy, and you when you bite into them. You just fall in love with them, and they're sweet, and they're unique, they're expensive, and they're yellow. And where they're where do you get them? Actually, I have seen get... these before. I'm looking them up online. I have seen these before. I didn't realize these were Asian pears. Where do you get these, though? I get them almost anywhere, but now they seem to be um, hard to get like any other great fruit these days. It's hard to get good fruit. Hmm. I don't know if you've noticed that. But um, anywhere, I get them at um, Food Emporium. And a Whole Food has them, but right now neither of them have them. Now, when the season comes back, I guess you know summer or whatever, they'll be back in stock. 
but I'm obsessed with them. They're so good and juicy. I will try. I, I'm going to give this a try. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate your comments about the show as well. 800-848-9222. Is this Stefan in Ohio? Yes, Frank. How are you doing? I'm well. Um, I, I live in East Palestine, Ohio, where oh. they have the trade derailment. But, but I wanted to tell you, Macintosh is my favorite apple. But I also want to tell you that I used to, used to teach history. And at one time, there were 5,000 different varieties in the 1800s in the United States. We're down to about 25 major varieties. And uh, it's sort of interesting that... Give me those numbers, give me those numbers again, uh, Stefan. Uh, 5,000 5, 5, different varieties in the United States alone. We're down to about 25 different varieties today. And most of the apples are apples that are good for shipping, and they last. And But uh, we've really lost a lot. And there's a man in Virginia that I read about, and he's an older man in his 80s. And he's going, going around most of the East Coast, and he's trying to find abandoned orchards. And he's trying to bring back some of the old varieties. He's, he's found about 1,000 varieties that he's trying to reintroduce. Sort of, sort of interesting. And at one time, Frank, um, apples were really big in the, the United States in the 1800s because everybody was making um, hard cider, and that was the big thing. And uh, so I, I thought you'd find that interesting. Yeah. And my favorite apple is the Macintosh apple. Hey, uh, Stefan, so, how, how are you guys doing over there in East Palestine in the aftermath of the train derailment? It depends on where you live. If you live close to the derailment and the wind is blowing in, in the wrong direction, you you know, you're sort of in trouble. Lately, I noticed the air quality uh, since they, they've been digging up the track uh, that they didn't dig up originally. And you've got all these these vehicles and you've got these backhoes and all sorts of work. Some of that uh, is getting into the air and you can smell. It smells like, I guess it's the vinyl chloride they're talking about. But it's been a media frenzy, Frank. You you cannot believe the, the number of networks from all over, not just the United States. Oh, I can imagine. It, it's uh, I, I even got uh, I got interviewed by someone from the Czech Republic and also someone from uh, from Denmark. And so, uh, but but it's it's bad for a lot of people, Frank. But uh, hopefully things will get better. But, Absolutely. Uh, Good luck. Uh, keep us yeah. posted, uh, Stefan, and uh, keep us posted on the Apple situation as well. Okay, thanks, Frank. Thank we'll you. See Appreciate Bye-bye. that. All right. 800-848-9222. What we'll do in a moment is 15 seconds of fame. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, you can. People are already starting to queue up. There's three open lines. We're back to our normal eight phone lines today and our normal number, 800-848-9222. Phones sound like they're working well. So uh, kudos, by the way, to Dan Herschel, our chief engineer, for getting these uh, getting these phones fixed and back up and running I know uh, Dan is a hard worker. He's pulled in a bunch of different directions, and he always manages to get stuff done. Uh, So thank you to Dan Herschel. All right. uh, If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, now's the time. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Go down and your dreams go down. 
a place to hide If the days are long When the sun goes down You might need a place to call your own Somewhere out there on the other side of me You might hear a voice of Love this song. This is uh, Stevie G and the Apple Cedars, The Other Side of Midnight, available on iTunes for 99 cents. And you know, today, the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, uh, J- Jerome Powell, is making his semi-annual policy report to Congress. You could also say it's his biannual policy report to Congress. And it is looking like he is going to push for raising interest rates even more. Now, I'm all for interest rates. In the years where we had zero interest rates, I was saying we should have interest rates. We should have some interest rates. These negative zero interest rates, it's unnatural. doesn't make sense. I I think it's gotten too far. I mean, in the last year, the Fed has raised interest rates at the fastest pace since the 1980s from near zero to 4.5%. You know, John Katsimatidis had predicted on his program, that it would destroy the real estate market. And we're seeing now housing prices come down. Now, maybe they needed to come down a little bit. But consumer spending isn't slowing. It fell slightly in November and December, but it jumped up again in January. So now they're saying they need to raise interest rates even more. But the Americans who are doing most of the spending are not the ones that are going to be hardest hit by the rate increases. The biggest spenders are in the top fifth of the income ladder, and the biggest losers would be in the bottom fifth. So really, this has the potential to hurt a lot of people if they keep going with um, with these interest rate hikes. Maybe we'll get into this tomorrow. We'll see what he says. Still waiting for Congress to schedule those uh, fair tax hearings so that we could have our fair tax debates. Uh, I'm looking forward to that because uh, I found a number of good experts on both sides of that issue from a variety of different perspectives. All right, without further ado, it is your opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hey, Frank, you got a big set of pineapples telling us how to say salmon when you put five extra letters in tuxedo. Is that a Southside Staten Island thing or a Frank Morano thing? That's uh, a Frank Morano thing. Eddie! In the Garden of Eden, it wasn't the apple on the tree. It was the tomato in the garden. <laughs> e. Frank. Yes, uh, Frank, do you have any knowledge or do you have any information on how Mark Simone uses the benefactor Black and Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church in Astoria? I don't. I saw him yesterday at the Golden Mike's. Original Rick. Yeah, Frank, it's not you, it's the apple. They're picking all produce earlier off of the trees because of the pandemic transportation delays and everything's tasting like cardboard because of it. Interesting. David. Actor Julian Sands disappeared on January 13th and has still not been found, but there's no media coverage. I guess he wasn't a big enough star. Jimmy. This is a moron, this is a moron, this is a Roger. Imagine how much we could reduce our carbon footprint 
paper usage, ink usage, and time by eliminating all silent letters in print. <laughs> That's my kind of guy, Roger. And finally, Maria. Hi, I love Noam Layton, and I wish they'd make him part of Sid and Friends show more often. He deserves it. We women love him. Well, thank you. Uh, be but careful. Uh, his wife better look out. Uh, watch out, Mrs. Layden. All right. Uh, that uh, just about slams the lid on things for today. Yeah, I agree. Um, Noam Layden is a tr- tremendous journalist, and uh, he's really a five-tool radio talent. And he sounds great. But he is on Sid and Friends. He does Gnome's Nuggets. And he's great with that. I mean, maybe you're saying he should have a greater role. Uh Maybe, you know, maybe that's forthcoming. He's got a lot on his plate already. He's got a lot going on. I'm the man. But uh, stay tuned if you're listening on uh, WABC in New York. Noam Layden coming up at 5 a.m. Eastern. And uh, if you're listening around the country, if you want to see what all the fuss is about, you could you could tune in over at WABCradio.com and uh, give a listen to that voice. Although uh, we have great morning shows coming up. All over uh, the our affiliates, especially on WCBM in Baltimore. I was very pleased to be on a month or two ago with uh, my friend Sean Casey in Baltimore, who does a great job. And um, I'm looking. For, I do listen to that show as well. So if you want to email me, you can do so. Frank Moreno at wabcradio.com. I'll be back tomorrow with Doctor Sky and maybe even the great one, Mark Levin. Until then, Frank Moreno, good day.